Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, lads and lasses, those who don't subscribe to the ginger and everyone who has survived the apocalypse, welcome to Mango Talks The Last of Us. This is Mango Talks review of the HBO show Last of Us. Spencer, we are on episode five. We have cranked through, we find ourselves midway through the season, firmly midway through the season. Mm-hmm. What did you think of episode five? Well, this, this accomplished kind of what I was expecting it was going to do, of where it is very much the second half of episode four. This episode, I don't think, could exist without episode four. Episode four feels incomplete without this one. And do I think it landed? Yes, generally. There's still some interesting... There's still like an entire category of scenes that I don't feel are entirely necessary and feel like recognizing that they're kind of the weakest part of the episode. But the core here I thought was very well done. I thought very quickly they gave us another relationship between two characters, which I believed in, which I was invested in, which was sold, that functioned well as kind of like a foil and a mirror on Ellie and Joel's relationship and the possible risks and the possible motivations that are going into that. We got one of our most impressive action set pieces I've had yet, which was visually very stark and distinct and appropriately tense in terms of how it was going through it. We've got the increasing, uh, increasingly blooming relationship between Ellie and Joel, there's a lot to recommend here. I still, I think this is a mid-episode in terms of my overall opinions on it, maybe even lending towards the bottom half of you know the five episodes we've had so far. But I still think it was very well structured and very well done, even if I think it did more things than it necessarily had to. And as a result of that, maybe it distracted itself from some of its stronger points. Yeah, I thought this was a good episode of television. I mean, it, the last episode I felt like was too short, not a lot going on, but you indicated in our podcast, you felt like it might be like a part of a two episode sort Mm -hmm. of narrative. I think that it was, I think you can look at episode four and five as a pairing episode three sort of stands alone. Episode four and five sort of pairs together. And I thought it was really good. I thought that section at the end where the, the Humvee goes in the ground and then we have that sort of like hard home esque breaking of the seal and all of the, the zombies running out. I thought like that was really solid television and they built it right like it wasn't i feel like a part of the problem i always had with the walking dead was you know that the zombies jump out and scare you every 10 minutes all of a sudden it's not scary anymore but they they're really judicious with how they're showing the zombies right they're judicious and they built up to it we've had two episodes now building up with them even just straight pointing out hey What's not been here that should be here? So it wasn't just it wasn't like you said it wasn't a it wasn't a haunted house of where something leaps around the corner as part of just a generic surprise as part of the tension part of the experience. It was something that was slowly building up into the world building to then arrive on the scene organically and realistically and appropriately and terrifyingly. Thought that was well done. I did like I did appreciate that the show did bring our country together. It brought together liberals, conservatives, Democrats, Republicans. It brought together libertarians, green parties. We're all in the same boat. Mm -hmm. We're all against Kathleen's leadership. Everyone believes that Kathleen is a bad leader. I like that we can all be on the same side of this one. That Kathleen stinks. And they did give us an explanation of sorts. Not a complete one, not a great one, not that I'm sold on, but it wasn't her job originally. It's a family connection. Her brother was the one leading the organization, and once he died, she stepped into the role, and the loyalty associated with him is also tied to her. I still don't buy her leading rebels in this particular movement. I think that's kind of the weaker aspect of the episode, as well as some of her scenes associated with that. But I think everyone is 100% with you. Kathleen screwed the pooch, and it seems like maybe everyone in Kansas City died because of it. Nepotism. 
Nepotism is not the way to reach a company. It is. uh, That's one thing that the the, the core core message of the episode. Nepotism bad. What is this? A monarchy? We overthrew those. That's not properly American. All right. So we are going to review here. Episode five of The Last of Us titled Endure and Survive. Endure and Survive. A little repetitive. A little repetitive. repetitive, Yeah. Kind of dumb. Uh, We're going to do our normal programming here where i do the recap every week bang bang knock them knock them out shoot them up do the recap spencer will chime in with the anecdotes a lot of really uh wisdom i would say is what he provides us every week and then we go into best line of the episode where spencer gamely every week provides me nominees for best line of the episode and i and i alone emperor of the segment will award best line of the episode then we'll jump to familial scene of the episode my God, is there a lot of it, it, we'd almost options just, for that? We almost can just point to the entire episode for that. This episode is built around familiar relationships and how they can both motivate you, but also lead you to salt the rest of the world for the sake or even just the memory of that. So positive and negative on screen. And then we will jump to ethical questions of the week, which I'm not sure we've had in the, the five episodes so far. Episode I'm more excited for ethical questions of the episode because they even pose like – Kathleen poses ethical questions into the ether. Mm-hmm. Like, do you really think one kid is more important than everyone? Aren't some kids supposed to die? Like, just get, giving you the segment. Get ready, sir, because that's going to be the main one we talk about. She just handed you the segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Appreciate it, Kathleen. Sinker, her, one, no problem. her one success all episode. The one thing she did well is she helped us with the final segment of the episode. I will say this about the episode that we are recording now. We're recording it a little bit early based on our normal weekly cadence. Why is that? Because the episode came out on Friday because a little thing called the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, Spencer, you obviously a big football fan. Who are you picking for the Super Bowl? Go ahead and pick Frost, uh, Austerity or, or whatever. I, because they were the setting of this episode, Kansas City Chiefs. Let's see if they pull it out. Kansas City Chiefs, Spencer's going for. And I will say this, a uh, little abnormal recording here for Mangum Talks. I am not at my home. I am on a work trip. If you can believe this, I am on a honest-to-God work trip. I'm not lying about that work trip in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. And I am staying at a hotel where the parade route is right outside my window. So if you hear drumming, beating, yelling, throwing of beads, day drinking, all of that rowdiness is going on right outside my hotel, so uh, I'll try to power through podcast professional that I am, but that's what's going on right outside my window. Yeah, don't be worried, folks. The zombie apocalypse is not occurring right outside and right behind Lee, as much as it will sound like it at times. I do have a question. Yes. What city, based on the stereotypes, the history, what you know of American cities do you think would set up the best for a QZ? Set up the best for a QZ. Yeah. What do you think? Like, yeah. What do you? Which city do you? Are you like? Oh man! If they had to set up a QZ, they'd probably crush it. Who? I, I mean, hmm. There's there's more organized cities going into the going going out east, and they're less there's more less sprawled centers that could be a basis for that. But they've got so many more fucking people concentrated in such a, such a tighter space, so that'd be a lot harder too. Maybe something like Denver. Like Denver seems like that could work out pretty damn well. Maybe is a city that's got, it's got some isolation in terms of the surrounding area. It's got some elevated terrain and everything else. Yeah, maybe Denver might crush this. Also, with the Western mentality attached. What do you think? I was thinking Austin, Texas, because it's a very so the much city sprawl, get, though. Well, no, but this the downtown area is very centralized. Mm-hmm. 
in Austin. Like you know, Houston we, would never work, right? Dallas would never work because of all the sprawl. But Austin kind of is more because it's just, just the capital. You know, they they got a very tight downtown. You could put arms around that, and then of course you know guns per capita in Texas. I don't know. I feel like maybe maybe Austin would. I'll say this. The city that I think would do the absolute worst job is New Orleans. Um, <laughs> Nobody I mean, would is, know for a few days there was even a zombie apocalypse. It'd just be regular there, streets. Is there any city that's less capable of controlling the inflow and the outflow yep. of their city in every possible way? Yep. Inflow and outflow, they're not good at it. New Orleans would not work. I think they would be the very worst at, at the QC. I'm, I'm walking around here thinking like, man. Yeah, in the event of a zombie apocalypse, this place would be absolutely screwed, for well, sure. This I, I, would be the last Mardi Gras. I gotta say, if your opinion is correct, man, fuck Tommy for bringing Joel all the way to friggin' Boston away from Austin. That, 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 that decision just did not work out well for them. Should have stayed yeah. right in Austin and QZ'd the crap out of that place. Yeah, I don't know. Texas, somewhere in Texas is gonna have a strong QZ. Yes. You gotta think. To, or they pick somewhere. To, like, you go into the hill country, there are gonna be communities that are gonna be fine. There are going to be some towns that are just doing great during the middle of this, provided Federer doesn't, co- doesn't roll in and try to evacuate them all, which we'll see how well that works out. I mean, considering what we know about how, at this point in the series, of what we know about how the infected operate, right? They really go to where people are clustered. They certainly don't exist out in the rural areas for no, very long. There's no value. So, like, like these people who – like the Yellowstones of the world, the people who live out in, in Bumfuck, Oregon, where, mm-hmm. for instance, like they're probably set up really well, right? Like it's if they – assuming they don't eat the fucked up flour from Jakarta. There's an issue there, yes. I mean the – in fact, the likelihood if you live out, you know, in some estate, you know – acres and acres and acres away from anything in Oregon, you're probably going to be okay, right? Yeah, if you're in somewhere like rural Nebraska, there's not going to be giant hordes of, you know, freaking bloaters going through your going through your fields anytime soon. You're going to be cut off from the broader source of supplies from the outside world in a way that might be negative to you if, you know, one of your kids has leukemia or something that comes up in this episode, but your, your medical care you already had, had already had out there wasn't great anyway. How much are you going to be disrupted? Yeah. All right. Well, that's my thoughts uh, about some of the more logistical issues around around the episode. And then also just trying to explain why there's a constant drumbeat in the background, which apparently goes on for a week straight. This is what I've learned about Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras literally is a parade for a week straight in the city. It's unbelievable. Like if I lived in New Orleans, I would hate Mardi Gras with a passion. I already hate it. I've been here less than 24 hours. I would hate New York. I would hate Mardi Gras with a passion if I lived here. Can you imagine you, Spencer, if there was a parade for a week straight outside your door? I, that would be the week I go on vacation. I would not be anywhere near that town during that period. I work with a lot of attorneys that are based in New Orleans, and they basically just say, "No, no work gets done this entire week in the town. You just can't. There's just no, there's no means by which anything can be accomplished." And that's when they decided to have the work conference I must attend. Okay, great. Awesome. Okay, well, podcast professional that I am, we're going to bang on with the recap episode five, Endure and Survive, previously on covers Joel and Ellie's troubles in Kansas City. Joel telling Ellie she shouldn't have to hurt someone at that age. Kathleen, kill them all. Burn them all. Burn them all. Hey, qu- question you brought up. Mad a pr- queen. Question you brought up from a prior episode. The, in- the interstate shot from Boston to Kansas City is actually pretty direct. They're actually not that far north south of each other. I forgot how far north Kansas City is. Huh. So it would actually make pretty reasonable sense than take I ninety and I seventy just going west. Hmm. Ellie and Joel wake up to Sam and Henry with the guns. 
Then we get the opening, which still smacks. That guitar rift yes. that that we established last episode is actually from the video game. Mm-hmm. That's a really great guitar rift for this type of motif. Yeah, re- a relooked. A condensed version, but yes, definitely from the video game. But that acoustic guitar just factors into so many wonderful moments in the game and so many important moments for the characters. So it's nice that they keep on bringing that forward. We start 10 days ago, immediately after the fall of Fedra in Kansas City, and it is pandemonium, as you would imagine, complete insanity. Not not too dissimilar from Mardi Gras. Collaborators, <laughs> surrender now, and you will receive a fair trial as being blasted from the speakers, which we know isn't true. Credit to you. We were debating how long we thought it was before what we saw in the last episode that Fedra had fallen, and we were thinking like maybe three months, but definitely a short period. It was even faster than we were thinking. It is literally less than two weeks before we before Joe and Ellie arrive on scene. Here's what made me think it wasn't that long. Mm-hmm. In part, right, in part, was that I just didn't think that Kathleen could be in power for very long. It would just all fall apart that quickly. Really? I mean, do, do you is. think that, do you think she could run a city? Like this, in these type of situations, is it these type of circumstances what? with all these stressors and all of these dynamics for any significant amount of time? But I thought it was so damn telling that when we, they drove up to the front door of the Federal base and it's just wide the hell open. It's like, these guys aren't even maintaining security. They're just roaming about. They're still searching for people to punish. And like, what is his name? Perry? Perry, her second in command again? Points out this episode... That should be well down our priority list. This should be like we should be stepping in for the you know the good things that Fedra was doing immediately because we just killed half of all the armed forces in the city, and they're doing none of that at any point. And man, does it come to bite them in the ass! So yeah, I was completely with you that, that what we saw on the screen was in no way sustainable. If anything, it was eating its own tail. We see Henry and Sam. Henry is signing to Sam, so that's our first indication that Sam is hearing impaired that they have two more blocks to get out of there that Sam needs to stay with him. Cut to a room full of hostages, Fedra collaborators. And Kathleen walks in. She brings a chair into their holding chamber and sits down. She begins, you know, Perry. So there we go. Perry. You were right. You were right. His name is Perry. Uh, again, was Tommy in the video game. So, you know, I, I'm glad, always glad when they're hiring voice actors. I used to be so scared of these people. Now look at them. Did it feel good betraying your neighbors to Fedra? Watching us get thrown in prison, watching us so that you could get medicine, alcohol, fucking apples. So she's here's what sticks out to me in this scene. She's taking a lot of joy in her newly established power over these uh, rats, informants, people. She's very much acting like a cat with a caught mouse. She is savoring this to a certain degree. She finally has all the power and she's going to make the most sadistic use of it that she can. My cat caught a mouse the other day, like just a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. And every time that happens, like I know that I've read all these articles that say like when your cat catches a mouse, you're supposed to like really soothe them and say, good girl, good girl. You did so good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Otherwise, it really messes with them psychologically. Mm-hmm. But it does like make me think like, wow, like we really shouldn't be in business with these creatures. These are awful creatures. When What they do to these mice is like. This is real. Like you, you see a you see a real dark side of your pet real quick. I love cats. I've loved cats my entire life. I love them despite acknowledging that they are a murder machine that is living in your home with you. Their main, other than the affection they direct towards you, the main pleasure they seem to get out of life is viscerating tiny creatures. She goes on. Did it make you feel better? Did it make you feel safe? How does it make you feel now? Well, I'm not Fedra. Lucky for you, no one here has to die. Yeah, <laughs> but you are. <laughs> Put you on a trial. You're all guilty. So that's how that would go. Oh, thanks. Thanks. But first you have to do something for me. 
Where is Henry? Your informers. Inform! Where is Henry? <sighs> I guess they don't know. Kill them. Uh, so everyone yells, um, and then finally some guy goes, he's with Edelstein. The doctor we saw last episode. The doctor, Edelstein. The person goes on to tell her that Edelstein has a place to hole up if things got, quote, bad. Kathleen takes issue with the characterization that things are bad. Kansas City's free, haven't you heard? Don't, don't say it's bad now that I've been elected leader. <laughs> this is the new and improved American. <clears throat> she asks where, and they say, uh, the, and the guy says they didn't say. She keeps answer. She keeps. He keeps saying, I swear, I told you everything I know. I swear, that's all I know. And she goes, potential line of the episode, of course you have. You're a rat. Um, so, you know, we, we've gone to like almost like just street rules at this point. Uh, you know, like uh, just snitches get stitches. Like the worst thing you can be is a snitch to Fedra. And Lee, I got to ask, if push comes to shove, if we're in this world, would you at least sell me out for a Fuji apple? Like, are we going for a nice apple that you're going to sell me out for? Or are you just going to do a straight golden delicious? Is that how much I matter to you? Not golden delicious. No, it would have to be Honeycrisp level for sure. I'm I, mean, I like touched. It. I'm touched. Yeah. Are we going full pink lady kind of world here? I would be fucked in this situation because my my modus operandi is to operate within systems. Yeah, that's what I that's what I excel at is to give me a give me a system, give me a set of rules, yeah. parameters. Fedra's the world, and Fedra's our system, right? So there's zero percent chance I wouldn't be working with Fedra in some capacity. Now I would recognize they're doing all kinds of heinous things and i would be trying to subvert that or change it or whatever but i there's no way i wouldn't work with them in some capacity it seems crazy to me that you wouldn't it does seem crazy it also what one of the things that i always thought works best when you know some revolution overthrows the government whatever else is some element of blanket amnesty for people that weren't directly involved in the serious crimes, like the people that were just working for the government, the people that were providing information to the government, the people that were just trying to survive and whatever else, your world can't really survive if you're killing all those people. Because like you said, they're the government. They're the world that everybody was operating in. There wasn't a practical choice in the matter. You can't kill all those people if you want to have a hope for actually, you know, surviving as a society after this. Kathleen don't care. Kathleen don't give a shit. Kathleen comes out, tells everybody, it's time to go hunting for Henry. Perry sort of pushes back, and Kathleen's really snarky, really snarky with him. Says, oh, so how long should we give them? A day or two? A week? Oh, fuck it. Let's give them a month. Perry says, he's not saying they do nothing. They have a perimeter around the city, which we see that they do not. Um, no, but they don't after Kathleen at least does this. We don't know if that was something that they, it falls as a result of her pulling all the resources elsewhere. I would, I'm skeptical that they had a, a firm perimeter around the city. Agreed. Uh, he's saying, let's wait them out. Door to door would take a lot of men. He's, and then she responds, he's not my seventh priority, Perry. Is that what he is to you? I think that is that what he is to you is not just attacking Perry's potential loyalty. It's also attacking the memory of her brother, right? Like you, you, you don't. If he if he's not more than your seventh priority, then you didn't love my brother the way that, you know, you said you did or that we all expected that you did, et cetera. Did you also believe that a certain minimum amount of, of loving her brother is required to be able to survive in her organization? Like, if you know, if you don't meet the minimum requirements for having affection for her deceased brother, does she just deem you a member of Fedra and kill you? <laughs> I don't know with this woman. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's something I don't like when people do that in real life, right? When you have a figure that everybody agrees is good, a change agent, somebody to admire, to look up to, to follow. Yeah. And then they die. 
And then people start to use their voice to control. I see this a lot Mm -hmm. with Martin Luther King Jr., Sure. People will say things like, well, Martin Luther King Jr. said X. And then it's supposed to be a way to like force you to believe it, even though said quote may or may not be true, may or may not be out of context. Martin Luther King also lived 60 years ago. Like, you know, there's all these things that that, you know, provide contextualization around anything from the man, but they still use the ghost of the man, the memory and the admiration of that of that person to try to control. That's a great call. One we see a lot in the law is what would the founding fathers have done? What were the founding fathers' views? That's straight part of the institutional way we look at laws at this point is so much just what would those now dear departed, basically sacred figures have viewed or done or said about this given situation? Controlling through 300 years later into the present day is a wonderful way of just stopping further discussion on the problem in a way that I don't think is fully useful. Are we really putting them on trial? That's what Perry asked Kathleen. No, we are not really putting them on trial. When you're done, burn the bodies. It's faster. Which is what we saw earlier in the last episode, that giant still smoking pile of bodies. Yeah, I think that might have been the Fedra informants. The rats! She walks off and Perry gives the order. We hear some screaming in the background. We get intense music and then it cuts. Cut to Henry and Sam. They are walking into, I believe, the same building Kathleen and Perry checked out last episode. One question. If Kathleen had said there would be trials, do you think her troops would have gone along with it, based on what we saw of Perry and gang? If they said, if she said there would be trials? Right. If she actually was serious about, I want these people to be put on trial, do you think that they would have been okay with that from what we saw? Or do you think that they were more down with the shooting? I'm not, I, I think Perry wanted a, tri- wanted a trial. From what I, I could tell of his face. That, that, that's kind of my impression. It seemed like he, he was go, he viewed the killing as an acceptable solution, but he almost seemed like he was interested in the idea of, like, are we actually putting them on trial? Like, yeah. Like, if she'd actually gone in on that, I think the room could have gotten behind her. But that's not what she's about. Yeah, I think that Perry supports her, is loyal to her, but I also think he is, if you sat him down, he seems to have, just the facial acting, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the lines they give him. It's it's how he he deals with the things she's telling him makes me think that he understands her her issues and limitations. He probably just thinks brute force they can get beyond it. Yeah, like th- this is the initial stage. We're still in the first two weeks. Every revolution has its period of murder. We'll get through this, and I I can be the good angel on her shoulder. I've seen what her and her family and her brother's capable of. We can direct them towards a better purpose. He's in because there's not another alternative. But here's the thing, Perry. You can't brute force a zombie army. No, and you can try. You can that's certainly the, try. That's literally the one thing they're good at is brute force. I, like, And that's their problem. And I love our discussion we did about that. Of the, remember the Dothraki when we were talking about that for the for the long night episode of Game of Thrones? Yes. Like yeah. Like, it's a zombie horde. What's the Dothraki style? Ride into them and cut them a lot. How well that going to work? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, obviously that last season of Game of Thrones gets all kinds of hate, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, I felt like that battle strategy from the Dothraki was realistic considering the history of the Dothraki. Well, we'd seen and it then the outcome was also d- d- realistic. It's not realistic is that after that, they still apparently had somehow, like, 5,000 soldiers or something. Let, let's just ignore the, ca- the casualty numbers for that battle. Yes, please. 
I believe the same building, I believe that Henry and Sam now are in the same building that Kathleen and Perry checked out last episode. Mm-hmm. It's that little Anne Frank-esque attic thing that Very they had going so. on. They're up there now with the doctor, Dr. Adelstein, that we saw from the last episode that Kathleen murdered. They are uh, talking logistics about how to stay there, water, toilets, food, etc. Doesn't have any food, the doctor, so they don't have enough food for any significant amount of time to be there. They also don't have any ammunition for their guns, which is an interesting thing to learn. Considering he put that same gun to Joel's head later. Yep, as a elaborate bluff, as we had discovered. Something I want to put in your head early, just because it's going to be a, something that's going to come, come up over the course of the episode. One of the single ba- biggest adapta- adaptation changes from video game to show is that Sam is deaf on the show. Okay. I want you to keep track of that, and we're going to talk about why why we think that change was made and how successful of a change it was. Good. Just m- m- make a note of that in your mind. Henry proposes tunnels to get out. The doctor says, why go through the trouble? You can kill yourself right here. An important line later. So the doctor thinks that the idea of going through the tunnels is absolutely insane. As Henry we find counts, out later, good call, Doc. I'm with you. Henry counts the food. Um, 20 cans and six pounds. Jerk. Well, is it really that crazy? Because like if Fedra hadn't showed up, I think that they might have been okay. It was it was all the, if revolution the crashing, Fedra. the crashing, the the. The, you know, the fires, the, you know, creating big disturbances, I think, is what drew it, the it, it certainly, infected to them. It certainly didn't help. But as we find out, uh, Henry had jack shit knowledge about what tunnels actually were full of, you know, the infected. This could have gone far worse. If the tunnel they'd gone in happened to be the one that's got that massive horde in it they would have been massively fucked. And they had no real information to go on otherwise on that point. So you think that Henry wasn't aware that the specific tunnel he was going in was cleared out? He says that he was told that that tunnel was clear and that he admits that that information was at best third hand, incomplete, and several years old. It was a risk. Doctor says he's scared. Uh, well, first, the doctor asks if Sam is scared. Henry says, yeah, he saw a lot. Nothing I can do about that now. The doctor says he's scared because you're scared. A lot of truth in that, right? Like mm-hmm. when you're dealing with kids under 10, oftentimes they're going to look at They'll you. Uh, they're looking life. at yeah, they're looking at adults. Uh, if you you you're saying it's that thing where kids fall down, hit their head and you go, oh, you're so you're OK. Yeah, mm-hmm. buddy. And you and then the kid gets up and like almost cheers that they fell down as opposed to crying. Yeah, it's, it's the it's the kid that screams in a room and you just walk into a different room and the kid stops, walks into the other room and then starts crying again. It's very much that. Henry goes over to Sam and he's got an etch sketch where he's drawn Super Sam. Sam, I, I'm guessing Super Sam is what he draws when he's scared. Sam asks what the doctor said and Henry lies that the doctor said they are safe there, that no one is going to get them, etc. There's one problem, though. This place is ugly. Henry then pulls out crayons, the suggestion being that Sam used crayons to draw and decorate the place. They start immediately. Great music in the background during all of this. And I'm already pretty sold on their relationship very early. I mean, it, it, it's... We don't spend much time with them. This is very much their introduction that we get in this episode. And otherwise, every time, every other bit is just spent with them and Joel and Ellie. But the two work off each other well. Uh, and I think the addition of sign language here makes the relationship all the more personal, connected purely between the two of them and intimate from that. I think, you know, just we've just started. I've just started mulling this over. But this mm-hmm. idea that they changed Sam to be hearing impaired. In the show, I think one of the main focuses of the show is this concept of save who you can save, right? Mm-hmm. Save, save the person in front of you. And it's, it's a story of 
helpers mm-hmm. in my opinion so far. There's that wonderful quote, uh, you know, uh, from Mr. Rogers. It's like, we know basically Look I'm going to, no, no, let me paraphrase here. Please. I'm going to paraphrase Mr. Rogers. I am a Mr. Mr. Rogers PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this is paraphrase Mr. Um, Rogers. Look at, uh, Uncle Lee, tell us the uh, Mr. Rogers paraphrase. Here's what he said. When all hell breaks loose, shit's going crazy. <laughs> look for the people helping other people. Okay. You got it. That's, that's basically what he said. So I think I, this I'm is a story about helpers. I'm not picturing Mr. Rogers saying that. And I didn't want that view in my head. Curse you, Sam. When all shit's going down, uh, can you imagine Mr. Rogers at Mardi Gras, by the way? I'd just like to point that out. Mr. Rogers, it, he would change shoes. Obviously, yeah, you have to change shoes. Puts the cardigan on, and then he walks outside, and he just starts walking around Mardi Gras. What? I, I almost picture the sea parting in front of him, just a matter and antimatter kind of meeting as they go. Let me explain something I have learned about Mardi Gras. The sea will not part for him. Not a bit. <laughs> It's not parting for any. Biden could be walking around down there, and they would not part the sea. Certainly isn't for part, him. Certainly isn't part for cars. I've seen that one firsthand. <laughs> Maybe we can get a question into the Mister Rogers estate to see if he ever attended Mardi Gras. I need to know this. I'm going to Google this. Uh, look for the helpers. I think this is a show about helpers, and I think that by having Sam be hearing impaired, Henry is, and Henry knowing sign language, he's sort of uniquely positioned among the people that we meet. To continue being his helper, right? If you're trying to show overtly in a, like in a very quick amount of time how this person is able to be a helper for his brother, having his brother be disabled and then him being able to be almost an interpreter for him, I think it escalates that, right? It, it, it cranks that up to an 11. Okay. That's my first thought on that. I think it's a very good thought to have. Okay. Um, so cut to 10 days later and there are drawings all over the room. So he, you know, Sam's been at work. Henry looks out the window and the rebel forces are moving around. Every time they say rebel forces, I've just locked in the Star Wars, obviously. <laughs> well, they're driving X-Wings to the streets, man. You know, it's, it's dead on point. Yeah. A question for you. Do you think Princess Leia would put people on trial or is she very Kathleen-esque? Is she just killing people? You're, or I mean, How's that going to go? Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I only know the old canon. You've read the new Disney books. Do, are there giant show trials? Is there a proper Nuremberg that we get to see in the new Disney canon? If anything... Leia's on trial in the new in the new canon. Um, Interesting. Yeah, wonderful book called Bloodline, where it comes out post episode six. Bloodline. Uh, the politic and the yep in the politics of the of the Republic that she is Vader's daughter, and of course that imperils her position and gets her impeached and all kinds of stuff. Really good book. You should, you should go over and check that out. For, for, from what I know of the old canon, Mod Mothma, Leia, the rest of the New Republic Senate were much more about. Let's form a functioning government rather than punish all the people responsible for who we were hurt. Much more practical thinking than I think Kathleen could have learned from. Hey, Spencer, I'm going to say three words that I'm going to, that's going to give you a chill. Are you ready? Go on. And it's chill in a bad way, not in a good way. Somehow Palpatine returned. Why do you do this to me? <laughs> why? Man, Spencer, Just Spencer why? hates the new canon so bad. I really uh, do. Uh, I, what, what made me think of that is like the, the idea that, that all, while all of this is going on, Palpatine's still alive. Yep, what the back. fuck, Disney? Uh, all right. So back to the recap. Sam says he's hungry and Henry's trying to tell him, look, we can't, it's hard to find food. Like resource management. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to Bill. Resource management, right? Uh, yep. Sam's hungry. Sam's got to eat that last can, man. And he wants to bang. This is a fun thing, too, is that given the importance of being silent in this world, 
it, you would have to be very careful with Sam because he does not have a, much of a frame of reference on that point. Sam asks if the doctor is coming back, and it's clear Henry doesn't know, but he tries to assure him a little bit. Cut to a little bit later, maybe a few hours, maybe the next day. Sam wakes up. Uh, Henry tells Sam he isn't coming back. I'm sorry. We don't have any more food. We need to leave. I've been watching them. I know their patterns. We can make it on foot. Uh, credit to the actor who plays Henry, by the way. I saw this in an interview. He did not know any sign language before this role. He learned it for the role. But he looks damn convinced. I, I'm assuming he just learned his lines, but it looks damn convincing. I think that ASL is of things that are considered a, quote, non-English language. It is. Yeah, it's a, it's a language a language unto itself. Is considered the easiest to learn. Really? And I, I will say firsthand experience, you know, as you grow older, Spencer, you learn things in this world, right? Sure, we gain yeah. wisdom. Uncle, Uncle Lee out there to kids. I had a very dumb girlfriend at one point who, who <laughs> majored in ASL. Mm-hmm. Um, not majored, not majored, but you know, like how you have to have a foreign language or whatever. They call it foreign language. How, how very American of us foreign language. Uh, she learned, she learned ASL and I was like, if she can learn it. I don't know, man. Uh, apparently, uh, the actor who plays the actor who plays Henry uh, um, Bella Ramsey also learned it too, so she could just communicate with the, with, with the um, young actor that was playing Sam. So, a significant portion of apparently the cast and crew learned it just as part of the experience. They probably did what Hugh Laurie did when Hugh Laurie was in house. He gave this really great interview one time where he was like. Every time he had to give one of those really long monologues about what what actually is going on with the patient, spoiler alert, at the end of every episode in House, there's one of these five-minute dialogues yes. where he gives a dialogue – he gives a whole monologue about what's going on. He, he explained it as learning medicine and really, really feeling like he knew what he was you're, talking you're about. You're doing giant air quotes as you're doing this. <laughs> for about a one-day period yeah. and then forgetting that. And I imagine that's kind of what you do in these situations where you have to learn ASL or French or whatever. You learn it enough to feel like you have a grasp for it for your scenes and then it probably, whoop, slips right out I, of your memory. I would be I would be curious whether it's the equivalent of like some foreign actor learning English phonetically just to recite their lines. Who knows? I'd be curious to say. Yeah, probably. Sam's pretty sad about the fact the doctor's probably dead and gives Henry a hug. Henry tells Sam to close his eyes. Not too tight. And he paints on Sam's eyes the mm-hmm. same pattern we see at the end of the last episode. And Henry shows... superhero that he keeps drawing everywhere. Yeah, pretty cool. Super Sam. Mm-hmm. Henry shows Sam the reflection on a knife and Sam is pleased. He puts his jacket on and they go downstairs. Henry looks out the window, says it's okay. And he starts to verify <laughs> he doesn't see anything. <laughs> but right at that time, Joel comes flying in in the truck and Henry watches the shootout he has with Kathleen's forces. And then he looks over and sees Joel's face very clearly. So he gets a shot of Joel's face in the laundry mat. Specifically, wrecking shop, which is what he's looking for here. Guy that can successfully kill three other people in a stand-up fight. Somebody he wants to know right now. I think Henry's a really bright guy. Like, he's one of the more clever people I think we meet, mm-hmm. you know, as far as just... when he's, For instance, when he says... I've been watching them. I know their patterns. I have complete faith that he does. Yeah, um, he's has, pretty clever. Henry has skills. Henry has abilities. He's just and, and what I think one of his most useful abilities is that he acknowledges his weaknesses. That he knows that he has lived a surprisingly protected and privileged life, as it were, in terms of exposure to violence in the zombie apocalypse. He cannot help them in that regard. It's an issue. He's also been very protective of his younger brother too. So his younger brother doesn't have the skills either, and is eight. That's an issue, too. He needs a Joel. A lot of people could use a Joel, but this guy in particular needs a Joel. So I have a question for you. Do you think that his relationship with his younger brother is too involved? I Because it ultimately culminates in him feeling like, 
if my brother's not alive, I can't, I, I don't, there's no purpose in me moving, move, going on. And that tells me that maybe his emotional reliance on being, of being with his younger brother, of protecting his younger brother is maybe too high. It's not healthy. Yeah, it's it's a two-way street here. They are equally dependent on each other to the point that they cannot function without each other. And that's a problem in either direction, really. I mean, it, 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 it's, this is a theme we've seen several times in the show. We, we talked about it with uh, Bill and Frank, about, you know, Bill choosing to kill himself along with Frank, about our opinions on that and whether that was justified, whether we thought that that was something that Bill should have done. But from Bill's perspective, no. we couldn't imagine a world without him. We're getting to see a darker version of that here in this episode, I think. I feel to a certain degree of where <sighs> Henry has just built all of his identity, all of his purpose, all of his goals around his brother. And the idea that not only that he failed him, but that he's the one that has to put him down. There's not a world for him after that. He can't picture it. It's not that's not healthy. No, I think he's too involved. His relationship with his brother is too too close to involved and i think maybe the hearing thing is a part of it right because he feels like he's into he's his interpreter that the he, he he's he has more of a pronounced role of his protector because of it but i mean you know i think another core part of this show and should be any post-apocalyptic zombie story mm. is where there's life there's hope that's the only and thing it, that and, keeps and, you and going what, and what kills me is that i'm, I'm sitting here ha ah, kills me because i'm sitting here i'm, <laughs> I'm kills, kills, kills I'm, henry too I'm bitching and complaining all the time about what's the purpose? Why go on when 7 million people have died, when humanity's collapsed and the world is ending? Who cares? And in anybody who watches, who cares about this genre is going to recite to me in some way what you just where, there's li- where there's life, there's hope. Yes. But the show continues to undercut it. It undercut it with Bill killing himself when, when Frank dies and with Henry doing it now when Sam dies. It's like we see these characters who do not actually – subscribe to the theory where there's life, there's hope. It's I'm putting all my faith and all my hope into one other being. And if that person's gone, then there's no hope. And I think in some ways we're unpacking that. We're seeing what people are seizing upon to keep going and whether that is ultimately healthy and how successful it is. We're seeing that story told by almost every single character that Joe and Ellie meet. It is part of the lessons they're getting from the world. This is almost built, you know, Greek mythology style, the Odyssey style, where they're going between different events and the world is affecting them, the world is altering them as they continue on their journey. And one of the most common things we're seeing is we're in a world where everything has fallen apart, where every prior motivation that society would have given you no longer exists. What keeps you putting one foot in front of the other? And everyone has a different way of doing that, and a lot of them don't work, and a lot of them do, but it wouldn't work for Joel. It's, it's difficult. It's complicated. People are failing right and left. Sam then asks, I, Go ahead. I, I would say one of the key things we see particularly in the video game, I think they, as a result of making Sam younger and also deaf, it's a little diminished or at least a little different. It's, uh, Henry is so hyper-protective of Sam that Sam hasn't developed anything resembling basic survival skills. That he hasn't developed any ability to survive on his own. He hasn't developed any, any ability to even almost understand the world outside of him, and it ultimately leads to him getting killed. I don't think the show's going quite that way to the same degree, but that was another element of the foil that they represent compared to Joe and Ellie, of where Ellie's actively learning those skills because Joel's teaching her, and she also has a better background in that regard. You know what Henry wouldn't be a good customer for? Well, maybe. Life insurance. Because he doesn't <laughs> seem to want to plan for a world without him, right? If you truly love Sam and you want him to be okay, mm-hmm. part part of that is is 
gaming out a, an idea like, okay, well, what happens when I go? Like for he, him. He touched and it. And he's not done any of that stuff. He touched it on the fly in this episode of where he essentially just told Ellie, grab Sam and run in that direction. It's a start. Maybe not something to work out necessarily on the fly, but it's a start. Yeah. I I will say this, like Uncle Lee out there to the kids. If you, if you in your life feel like there's this one, there's one person. And if that person goes, I can't be here anymore. You need like more. you need to take a break from that person. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's a little, if, if you're, if the person in this situation is your child, it's a little different. And, and hopefully you can, you can grow to a point when the child gets a little bit older where you don't have that feeling. But like, if there's a feeling like that, I, I, my entire life, like I, I don't want to be on this earth if, unless this person's here, you need a break from that person. That's uncle Lee out there to the kids. And that one's free of charge. We're, so we're going to get to look in Joel's eyes at the end of this episode. And I want to talk about you with them. Sam then asked Henry, what's going on? And Henry says, new plan. And then they, go over to the taller building cut to joel and ellie waking up with henry and sam pointing the guns at them henry starts to explain that they don't want to hurt them they just want to help joel and ellie joel just says okay henry says i don't know what the next step is with something like this but if i lower my gun you won't hurt us right joel okay that's a weird fucking tone man ellie jumps in diplomat ellie if you can fucking believe it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. unbelievable that she's thrust into that role and she goes look it's just how he sounds he's kind of an asshole she's basically saying he has resting asshole voice (laughs) he kind of does doesn't he yeah uh henry says uh look uh i'm going to trust you but if either one of you try anything joel says can i sit up henry says yeah but slow here's the thing i was uncertain the gun was guns were ever loaded mm-hmm. from last episode. I should have said it on the podcast last episode. Now it's confirmed. Well, but because of how brazenly he allows Sam to operate the gun, mm-hmm. you would think if the gun was truly loaded, he'd be a little bit more careful about, or he would be giving at least orders to Sam mm-hmm. in this scene about like, put the gun down to move it away. Like he doesn't do any of that. So it makes me, yeah, it's kind of sketchy. It, it, it works as a bluff, though, because Joel and Ellie know shit about what's going on here. The fact that there's two people pointing guns sure. is the entire world to them right now. Oh, and I would, too, if I was them. Oh, but yeah. he, I'm just saying there's just a small hint there that he's it, he's a little bit more cavalier about allowing Sam to have the gun than you would think. I don't think he would have given him a gun if it was loaded. Just from level of protectiveness, level level of comfort with Sam doing, getting that exposed to that part of the world, don't think it would have happened. Sam keeps the gun pointed at Joel for a really long time. Joel asks who they are. He says their names. He says, I'm the most wanted man in Kansas City. Most wanted man in Kansas City. Also, Johnny Cash album. Little known fact. Little known fact. I'm just kidding. But it does kind of sound like I was like, like, I did not know that. You've taught me something. I could tell on Spencer's face. Do you believe it? It kind of sounds like it, right? Most wanted man. A little bit, yeah. Most wanted man in Kansas City. Boom. Johnny Cash tour, mm. 1961. Should have been. Although right now, my guess is you are running a close second. Cut to them sitting around eating. Where did you get these? At least it's from Bill. He's dead. <laughs> good, good conversation. It was an interesting conversation. I almost felt like Ellie was trying to front a little bit. It's like, you know, yeah, there's dead people in our wake too. What are you going to do about it? I almost felt like she was trying to look a little bit tough. Oh, there. oh, I didn't even, I didn't, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that very much. Now I see it. It very much could have been like her so, posturing. So, so otherwise bit. it is such a weird way to start a conversation. It's like, yeah, he was a friend of ours. We got it from my head. So like, no, he's dead. Nothing I, else. I, on I, like, I kind of go with your, your, your course here and your interpretation because like mine was very much like, 
Ellie is just so bad at standard conversation that this was her, her attempt at small sure. talk. It is either that or it's her effort at trying to act tough. Now, here's something I've noticed about Joel. Joel is very, he's very giving with food. This is the second time we've seen him during the course of a meal, cut his meal short and hand the rest of his food to someone else. He does it here. Particularly and notice, a child. To Sam, exactly. Yeah. He does it to Sam, not hand rain. Joel, you know, you you Spencer on the Mango Talks podcast network loves to use the word front. I feel mm. like um, it's a, it's I do. A, Quite a bit. it is something. It is something that was used in the hip hop community in the late nineties, but Spencer's grabbed onto it now. It, it, I will this say is, this: this is the last of my music exposure. With then, yes, let me have this. <laughs> I will say this. It does seem like Joel fronts as an asshole, but really isn't. He's an undercover nice guy because like little stuff like that, we get a hint that like if you're truly a jerk, you don't, you just, you know, especially in this world, you don't hand, especially when you've, you've divvied out food like this, you don't hand the rest of your portion to someone else. It, you never would. You'd save it for later at a minimum. It, it, seem, it seems like it's showing that he had a hard exterior. He had a bloody exterior. He had an exterior that was just rock face but was surprisingly brittle. And now that Ellie has gotten into his life, now that something other than the world he was kind of just vegetating in is fall, is falling away and he's doing something different, that's rapidly being chipped away and cracking away. And we're seeing a more gooey interior in there. It's still under a lot of layers of sheetrock, but there, there is a gooey center to it, at least a certain degree. Henry, and here's the thing, Henry wants to be friends with these guys because when he notices that when Joel hands the food over, He's he's giving part of his ration over to Sam and he says, thank you. I'm guessing you don't have much. So this means a lot. Ellie asks how old Sam is. He says he's eight. Ellie's like, cool, I'm Ellie. Ellie then smacks Joel's leg. He goes, I'm Joel. Look, you ate. We didn't kill each other. Let's call us a win, 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 move on. I, that, that is civil by Joel terms right there. That is proper diplomatic conversation. There's a child present. Yes. Uh, otherwise, he would have been like, you fucker, get out. Yeah, I mean, he you pointed a gun in my fucking face. We're going to answer for that later. Yeah, Henry accurately calls out that Joel and Ellie went into the building to try to find a way out from looking on high. Henry says he can help them, can show them a way out. Cut to them looking out the window. Henry calls it Kill a City. Kill a City. Man, that sounds like a Joe Budden album. Um, says there is no Fedra as of 10 days ago. Mm. Joel says, we heard Casey Fedra was. Henry finishes this in its monsters, savages. Yeah, you heard right. Which is raping, torturing, and murdering people for 20 years. And you know what happens when you do that to people? The moment they get a chance, they do it right back to you. Which is really interesting. It's, it, it further tells us just how isolated and not fully connected or uniform Fedra units are. These are almost just loosely affiliated city-states that have survived rather than an organization with a central ethos. And I do like that we're basically getting from Henry um, LBJ's statement about people are always trying to say, you can't pass the Civil Rights Act. We can't give black people freedom. They'll, they'll rise up, whatever else. And LBJ was kind of blasé about it. It's like, if you have your foot on somebody's neck for 300 years and you lift it up just a little bit, yeah, they're going to want to punch you. That's to be expected. That's not a reason not to do it. Uh, but yeah, it... it, 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 it we don't have this in the game, and it's nice to find out more about how different federal organizations work. Let me be clear, because there's a threat that my mother would one day listen to this podcast. LBJ fucked up Vietnam. I just want to say that. Otherwise, my mother will will literally beat me with a switch if I don't say that. LBJ but, did fuck up Vietnam. But, but man, that that idea that like, yeah, if you take your, your foot off somebody's neck, they might punch you. But like, that's not a reason not to take your foot off their neck. Like, 
that that actually that was pretty powerful. That actually got me for a second. There. LBJ uh, LBJ is an interesting oh, dude. Man. He's a study of ops. That got me. Yeah, that, that little that put that put a little that put a little somehow Palpatine returned chill through me right there, Spencer. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that at least affects you in a positive way. Joel asked if uh, he's. Oh, I, one thing I was going to say though about like the connections between the QZs, right? Like yeah. how Kansas City has a different culture than the Boston QZ potentially, and there's all these QZs all over, so, right? Boston QZ we saw is despotic. We didn't hear anything about it being this bad. And based on Joel's tone, it doesn't seem like it was anywhere there. Kansas City level, which is like told to scare children to be good in their beds at night. The first thing Henry says is raping. Like you don't like there. You can't like torturing, murdering people. You can, you can make some weird, loosely connected line to, we have to keep everybody safe. And this person left the QZ or whatever the fuck. How can you possibly explain I need to rape this person to protect everybody from zombies? Yeah. You're getting harder. You can't do it. Getting harder to justify that one. But anyway, my point was if they're trying to connect, contact, like have contact between each other, like, like so the internet's gone, right? Yeah. The servers are down and there's the, all the servers yeah. are gone. R- so radio there's no towers internet. is what we say, long distance. But there's still satellites in the air. There are, if like, you can access them or who knows. That's my thought is that like some pretty bright people might be able to like access some of the satellites that are still, because I mean, the satellites that we've launched into orbit, like, stay there. Like, we don't, there's not, like, they, so, they stay in orbit. Some, some decay, some ram into each other, there's other issues, whatever else. They wouldn't all be gone, presumably, in 20 years. There presumably some level of a functional network there. They just may lack the technology or necessarily the dedicated resources to make use of them to say the grid. Like, we don't hear about GPS still being a thing. No one, they, they didn't bring their Garmin with them as they're traveling cross country. But that's my point, yeah. is that maybe, maybe you could. That maybe that's maybe something to could. still rely on, like like satellite phones, for instance, which I know the military still uses mm-hmm. a lot. Like potentially, satellite phones could still work. Potentially, potentially, yeah. I think that whatever that whatever technology that still exists, though, would be firmly and only in Fedra hands, or whatever other countries country organizations still persist to some degree outside the U.S. But that, but so the reason I'm driving to this sure. is if if. Satellite phones still work. Fedra would presumably have them because they would have taken over the military at this point. So Boston, so the Kansas City QZ could have potentially radioed out to other QZs. Hey, we're falling. Hey, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. So these, the, the, the rebellion, the rebel forces that have taken over KZ, KC, like that might be a problem in, I don't know, a month, like because other QZs might be coming. We've Based so- on some communication out that the Fedra people did in Kansas City as they were falling due to this rebellion. Yeah, I mean, if if there is like you know another uh, Fedra base in Little Rock or whatever else, and they've got the helicopters and they've got the Humvees and they've got the tanks, you may be fucked. Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they're a hundred percent isolated. I couldn't I, imagine they're a hundred percent isolated we, we, with we, satellite technology. And we know we know they're specifically they're not because we know that Atlanta and Boston, in particular, are trading. And Atlanta and Boston are probably about roughly, you know, for forming a triangle between Atlanta, Boston, yeah. and, K- and Kansas City. That probably is almost like an equal triangle. Just like the triangle offense, just like a Phil Jackson offense. Yeah, That's yeah. exactly I'm, how that I'm works. I'm drawing on the screen right now. One hundred percent. Yeah, like like Madden with the things. It looks like a Super Bowl. The, Look at the, us being that, that game you beat me at all the time. That one. Yeah, we do play a little Madden. Giants. It's the only one I can play. Joel asked if Fedra, uh, if he's Fedra, and Henry says no. I'm worse. I'm a collaborator. Uh, Henry, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. I got my arm in the air. Please, uh, uh, yeah, Uncle Lee. Yes, please. Uh, is it really worse to be a collaborator than to be the raper? Ka- Kathleen apparently thinks so. 
Because I don't think so. Uh, okay. Joel was just about to leave, says, I don't work with rats. Henry says, yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you fucking do. Because I live here and you don't. So he goes on. This is a sales pitch here. This is what I'm going to be doing here in this conference for the next three or four days here in New Orleans. While Go on. Give going it to on me. Outside. He goes on to say that's how he followed Joel there. He knows the city. He knows how he could help Joel get out. Joel asked, why would you want to help me? He says, look, I saw how you handled Kathleen's men during that shootout in the laundromat. I need help blasting my way out of the city. Joel's like, why? Well, you're armed. You can do that yourself. He goes, you're wrong and you're wrong. You're, so this is the first time he's admitted to Joel. I'm not really armed. Mm-hmm. Henry says he holding that gun, an unloaded gun mm-hmm. to Joel's face was the closest he's ever been to being violent. So he's probably never even thrown a punch to somebody before if he's saying that. Which that's just such an interesting statement based on what we've seen of Joel and Ellie's life and what they've experienced. We called Ellie sheltered and we know that she has killed people in the past. She knows how to use a gun. She knows how to use the knife. I have a question. Have you ever punched someone? No. Well, no, I've never like, you know, in a fight or anger, I punched somebody as part of like sparring, but never like, you know, I'm actively fighting somebody in a street. Yeah. Okay. So like you, for you, like if you, so if you, you pointed a gun at somebody that would, you would, you would fall in this, right? That'd be the most violent thing. If I, point, if, I, if I pointed a live firearm at another person, yes, that would be a whole new category of experience. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I didn't think you'd ever really punch somebody. It didn't seem like the punching no, type. Not part of it. No. Uh, with words, though. I've been very punchy with words, as you well know. Oh, yeah. As I very well know. Uh, so <laughs> what's the deal? I show you the way you clear the way. Then we see Sam and Ellie chatting and playing. Sam is laughing and that makes Henry really happy. He says, I haven't heard that in a long time. Joel asks him how they're getting out. Cut to Henry drawing a map for them. Highways, downtowns, us. This whole area belongs to Kathleen, leader of the resistance. That's it. Mon Mothma, Kathleen. Don't, he explains you, that, don't you, you take those words back. Do not draw that comparison, sir. Okay, I apologize. I take it back. There are, there are lines. <laughs> I've never seen, look, bits are punching me with words again. He explains that if they get close to the perimeter, they get caught. So the only way to get across is he motions to Sam, who writes out on his little Etch-a-Sketch thing, tunnels. That Etch-a-Sketch thing is awesome. I would love to have had one of those as a kid. That seems great. You didn't have one of those? I did not have that. You pulled the thing? Didn't even see him in stores. Would have loved one. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Yeah, you pull the the sheet and then Mm -hmm. you can rewrite. Yeah. Uh, Joel asked if Kansas City had a subway. It did not. I'm not surprised by that. It doesn't seem like a subway town. It seems like a lot of trucks in Kansas City. A lot, of, a lot of sprawl. A lot of Applebee's. A lot of parking lots. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not a lot of subways. Uh, ma- um, but maintenance tunnels, apparently. Yeah, that's what he explains. They had maintenance tunnels. There's a bunch of buildings. They all put up by the same developers, and those developers created an underground network of tunnels to each other. That makes that freaks me out. That makes me wonder what the hell's going on in all these cities that we're in. There's an underground network yeah. of tunnels that developers put out. I don't like that, and particularly since we get to see apparently those extended to residential neighborhoods too, which is like, no, no, I don't want that. I don't want to have to, I don't want to be under the idea that if I dig 15 feet down underneath my property, I'm going to hit a tunnel connecting me elsewhere in the city. Don't want it. No, I mean, if I'm the zoning board, I'm going to be like, wait a second, developer, you're building a tunnel just because you want one you, between your buildings? Like, like no, that's not, that's not what we're authorizing. T- here. T- tell me, Mr. Lecter, why exactly do you want to access secretly all the neighborhoods that you're building in the town? Yeah, that's strange. And they share these tunnels, including bank buildings is what Henry's explaining. So they go into the tunnels, they get over the maintenance line and get out. Joel says, hey, that's a great plan. Why the hell you need me? Henry says, well, if you notice anything strange about the city, other than what you've already seen, Ellie says, yeah, I have no infected. It, 
comes out now. Let's talk Henry about says, it. Well, they are infected. They're just underground. Fedra drove them underground 15 years ago. My question to you, Spencer, a very serious question is if KC Fedra can drive them underground, why aren't they all underground? Why, why, why haven't we driven all the infected under the ground? If, if, if this is something that they can do at a scale the size of Kansas City, why hasn't it been done in Boston? Why hasn't it been anywhere? I would love to see a short story going into greater detail about how that happened. Because I have to believe it was in somewhat unique circumstances that it wouldn't be more wildly available. That there had to, I mean, we do see that apparently there was a significant population of people that were living underground after things went to hell. That may have been a, a major source of the infected anyway. Maybe the KC... Um, Fedra was just particularly successful in killing the infected generally, and then a later bloom happened in this underground population that they then just boxed away down there. I don't know, but it's fun to speculate over because even even Henry's admitting that you know what those fascist motherfuckers that was an impressive coup they pulled there. Yeah, that's pretty important. And to your point, you would think if you were going to take over leadership of the city from Fedra, one of the first things you'd want to do Monitor is keep shit. going, keep going. The one really helpful thing Fedra ever did in the city, which was drive them underground. What? Kathleen just stinks. If you're on a priority list, that would have to be like top three. Henry's got to be like, you know, page 47 in terms of your priority list, practically speaking. Like, make sure there's still water and food for people and everything else. Reestablish the security net. And, oh, yeah, check on the infected underneath the ground. That should be the list. Joel was like, well, how the fuck would we go down in a tunnel with a bunch of infected? Henry says, look, everybody thinks they're infected down there, including the doctor from the previous scene, who clearly felt like they were infected down there. He's not wrong, just maybe not everywhere. Yeah. Um, They cleared them out. This is what he's learned from his Fedra sources, that they'd cleared them out maybe three years ago or so. Maybe there's one or two, but Henry says, Joel can clear them out if we get down there. Um, You know, I think our read on this is a little bit different. You seem to think that there was there happened to be no infected in the tunnel they went in, but there was clearly a bunch of infected in a bunch of tunnels, and that's why we see the overrun. Yeah. I don't think that. Like, I think that they cleared out, that, that certain, certain tunnels were cl- very much cleared out, and that was... That, that, there's, that, like, they weren't connected, that there was just, this was obvious knowledge, and that the... Um, the attack that you see at the end, the hard home-esque attack that you see in the end was from a completely separate tunnel. Like I, I felt my, this was just my read on it when I was watching it was that Henry's information was good. There wasn't a single infected down there. That was an, I, that was a tunnel system that was protected, isolated, and he had good information. And you seem to think he just no, guessed right. I'll actually agree with you. My, my more statement is that he did not know the information was good. Even he seemed to doubt it to a certain degree, but his position was they didn't have an alternative. There was a heavy risk attached with it, given the un, the uncertain reliability of the information he was turning to here. I will also, I will also fully agree. I think this in some ways implies that Fedra was also not just sitting on their laurels. They were actively clearing out the tunnels over time like they were you know systematically going through the tunnels and clearing them out as time goes on so they may have even eventually gotten to or had a plan to deal with this more central concentration eventually they just hadn't gotten there yet or it was just too big of a pill to swallow yeah so yeah so ellie wonders if maybe there is one of those blind ones that sees like a bat down there henry says wait you ran into a rate you ran into a clicker which you know, will make you look at your remote control differently. 
for the rest of your life now. This this phrase we've given the phrase "clicker" to the big baddies of the zombie apocalypse. Is it fair? Is it fair in your mind that Henry has probably Henry and most likely Sam have maybe never even seen an infected before, or at least it's been a very long damn time. Been a long has to has to have been a long time, yeah, because well, all of them are underground, right? But, and Sam's eight, so he almost certainly has never seen one before. Yeah, he uses that as evidence uh, that he has the right plan. He's like, look, you, you, if you ran across some clickers and you're still alive, then you're obviously down to fight. Yeah. You, you can do this thing. If it gets bad down there, we turn around and we run right back. Joel says, oh, so that's your really great plan. Henry says, no, that's my dicey as fuck plan, but that's best we got, as far as I can tell right now. Okay. He tells Sam that Joel and Ellie are going to help them escape. Right? Right? That's one way to pressure you into doing it. Tell tell the impressionable young deaf child that, yeah, yeah, this, these guys here said they're going to help me. Hey, 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 Joel, would you like to tell them that Santa isn't real? Now's your opportunity. Yeah, he just said Santa's real and he's going to repeat that to you right now. It, it, it is a very much, I'm giving Thanks. you no viable alternative right now. <laughs> Cut to them. Walking briskly into the bank, Joel says they need to get out of sight quick. I agree with him. Notice that Joel's already wounded. I just want to point this out. Like they're they're making a a point of showing that Joel is struggling f- struggling physically, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to come into play later. They walk into a stairwell, and I believe it takes them into the tunnel. Joel takes Ellie, tells Ellie to get her gun out, which is seems appropriate, but it's also maybe the first time he's ever told her to use the gun to help the group, right? Question, by the way. How old would you say uh, Henry is? He's a bro- well, he says. He says he's eight. No, no. Not, Sam is eight. How old is Henry? Oh, Henry. Uh, Henry's probably 28, 30. No. So if we put that in context, he was 10 when things went to hell. So he, he has a vague memory of the before world. The most of his living has been during the apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that sounds right. Um. So they both point out, uh, so as they go down the tunnel, Henry points out it's empty, claims victory. Joel's tell, Joel tells him to slow down. <laughs> all that. And then he says, your dad's kind of a pessimist. They both at the same time point out that Joel is not her dad. Joel tells them to point the gun forward and be ready to run. And they start going slowly. As they go, they see children's drawings. They look older, like they've decayed a bit over time. Sam goes to open the door get into the room and uh joel stops him gets in front of him another protective moment there right where joel's like i'll go first not the child mm-hmm. joel goes in and inside it looks almost like a classroom joel says i heard about these places people went underground after outbreak day and created settlements joel posits that maybe eventually they didn't follow all the rules and got infected which is why they aren't there anymore i would posit that if fedra drove all of the infected underground that fedra probably is the reason these people aren't there anymore because they drove the infected to them. Yeah, it's one of those things about where's the chicken and the egg here? And one of those two explanations is that Fedra just voluntarily sacrificed an entire community just just to protect everybody else. Might have not even known they were there. Possible. Sam then finds a comic book and him and Ellie bond over it. Uh, I would be down with that. I do love a comic book. Uh, Ellie says that she has, you know, the big comic book collections that people have, boy, in an apocalypse, would that be... Oh my God! Would that be proper reading material? Right gold. Here? I mean, that would be willing willing to trade. What What's the three most important things in an apocalypse? Ammunition, alcohol, coffee. I would be willing to trade all three of those things for for a good bit of comic books, <laughs> especially sequential comic well, books. Uh, do we get the name of the comic book that they're looking at? No, I, but, I, I think we saw briefly the cover, but I don't remember. Does the motto "To the edge of the universe and back, endure and survive" inspire you to want to pick up a copy of that? 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Episode four, five, six, and 11, actually. One of the lines of the comic book is endure and survive, endure and survive. We say it over and over again and then high five each other. Ellie asks if they can stay. Henry backs her up saying, hey, man, it'd be probably smart to wait until the daylight runs out, right? I mean, we don't want to be out there in the middle of daylight. Joel acquiesces to this. Then we see Ellie and Sam playing soccer a bit. Pretty cool. If you were collaborating to take care of him, this is Joel to Henry. I shouldn't have said what I said. I don't know. And I think what he's referencing there is calling him a rat. He's... In, uh, just I don't, double, I double checked in the video, in the video games it was Savage Starlight and I think that's what it was in in the show too which isn't a real comic it's one they made up. Yeah, Sam says or Joel says I don't know your situation and I'm not saying they should let it go but all things considered it seems kind of cruel to send a whole army after you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Henry says he wasn't exactly telling Joel the truth. Joel almost jumps over the table when he hears this part he, even b- before he can get out of his mouth what the the untruth was yeah. the fact that he was wasn't completely him. truthful. Joel was upset. This is about not killing somebody. Joel leans back a little bit. Henry explains that there was a great man, really good man, inspirational man, charismatic man, kind of man you'd follow anywhere. He says he would have followed the man, but Sam got leukemia. Yeah. Anyway, there was one drug that worked and wow, big shock. There wasn't much of it left. It belonged to Fedra. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted someone, some of it, I was going to take something big. So I gave them something big. That one great man, the leader of the resistance movement, Kansas City and Kathleen's brother. So still think they should take it easy on me or am I the bad guy? Ah, potential, yeah. potential ethical question. The episode. Potential, massive ethical question we're going to have to go into. It also raises an interesting thing, too, about from what everyone's saying, particularly Henry here, Kathleen's brother was much more OK and, and seemingly wanted a more civilized revolt and revolution than what Kathleen had brought about instead. So not only did Henry, you know, fuck him in terms of killing a, a good guy, he also is at least indirectly responsible for the current wholesale slaughter that is happening in the streets. Yeah. So he had to he had to sell him out in some way, right? Like mm. he probably had to give him information about where he was at or something. Uh, Henry says he Judas thinks he's kiss. the bad guy because I did a bad guy thing. He looks at Joel. He says, you get it, though. You might not be her father, but you were someone's. See, I can tell. See, Joel never even responds to the question about if he's a bad guy. Joel doesn't like the reference to his own daughter, though, and immediately gets up and says they've waited long enough and off they go. Cuts Kathleen. She's in a bedroom. Looks like a kid's room. If there was any scene in the entire episode, I felt like they could cut. This would be the one. I, um, I agree. It is oddly, though, and I fully agree that it could be cut. It's, all, it's also oddly my favorite scene with Kathleen in the two episodes. Despite the fact, maybe even because of the fact it's entirely unconnected, because it just, I felt like the two actors clicked well in terms of, you know, indicating that they've got a lot of shared history between the two and, and going into a little bit more detail about why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, for me, it felt like we're going to leave this character so fast yeah, that I wasn't sure it was 100% necessary to have her give this much of a backstory okay. about the situation. I mean, it, you know... It, I, I guess you could let level the same bit of criticism to Bill and Frank, but I felt like Bill and Frank were giving you the backbone, the ethical backbone of the show, which is protecting, saving, caring for one another, finding something, some reason to keep going. Kathleen's the opposite of all those things. I, I will say the, the, this is added from the video game. It's added onto the video game plot line. The addition of the perspective into the revolutionaries, the hunters in Pittsburgh, as they were in the video game, I feel like it's the weakest part of these two episodes. That going into Kathleen's storyline, going into their perspective, going into their revolt, I feel like it's distracting from some better stuff. I don't think it's bad, 
but it, it doesn't land for me as well as the rest of these two episodes. Yeah, I completely agree. So Perry comes in to greet her. Perry confirms they haven't found Henry or the guy who killed Brian. Kathleen, we are not doing so good. That was creepy. It was. I don't want. I don't want Kathleen doing my performance review. I tell you, she boy when she delivers even mediocre news, it's it seems really daunting. I, I, um, I like that Perry asked Kathleen's mom where she was though. That was how we found her. Yeah, that was funny. Perry mom yeah. always knows. Yeah, Kathleen kind of laughs at that. She's then, a question for you. If these two had survived and Kathleen had gone on to manage the city for a number of years, do you think Kathleen and Perry would have been romantic? I almost think there's an implication they may have been in the past. I mean, they, they seem like they've known each other, not just purely through the brother, or if they even knew each other through the brother, she was like the younger sister that was always around and knew them well, well before the apocalypse was. I feel like these two have known each other for years based on how their interactions with each other. But there's caring here beyond just simply the brotherly connection. Yeah, Kathleen asked if he'd gone back to the room he grew up in, and Perry says, no, 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 no. It's a long way away. No reason to do that. She then says Michael and her, when Michael and her were little, the room seemed so big. She says she was really scared of thunder. So when there was a storm, Michael told her this wasn't a room at all. It was actually a big wooden box that nothing could get inside of it. A lot of sibling stuff this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter if there was lightning or tornadoes or gunfire as long as they were together in our perfect box. They would be safe. He did that for me. He did that stuff like that all the time. He did stuff like that all the time. He was so beautiful. I'm not. I never was. He'd be horrible. He'd be horrified by the things I've done. And if you've come to tell me that Michael would want me to hurt, wouldn't want me to hurt Henry, that he would want me to forgive. I know that too. He told me the last time I saw him alive in jail, he told me to forgive. She shakes her head. And what did he get for that? Where is the justice in that? What is the point of that? Woo. Perry says, your brother was a great man. We all loved him, but he didn't change anything you did. You're the change agent. You're the person that got this accomplished. You're our leader. We're with you. How about that? Like the real, real implicit question of what do people follow? What do people Mm -hmm. respect in a leader? I think they will respect and they will idolize Kathleen's brother longer than they will necessarily remember her. But, at least in this moment, at least still drunk with success, she's the one that got him across the finish line. We don't know how, but she's the, it was under her banner that they pulled this off, and that is earning them loyalty for the time being. I think it's going to be brittle from what we see of her leadership. I think it's not going to endure for anything resembling what her brother could have eventually accomplished. But a bloodstained banner can rally a cause, and she's the one that's waving that. Yeah, and I do think that, like, in this type of world, accomplishments are so difficult to get to. There's so mm-hmm. there's so much inertia against anything you're trying to accomplish with this, all of the outside forces sure. that are going on. The fact that she was able to actually take down Fedra, I think that she'll, she would be able to eat. Like, as we say in the business, she'd, be, she'd eat on that for a long time, Spencer. I, and I, I think she is presently eating on it. I have doubts about how long it would be, though. I think it doesn't help the system that she's setting up, being so focused on murder and punishment and seeking out vengeance. I feel like that's going to eat itself before too long. Like We're two weeks in, and we're already starting to see some signs. You go a year in, I'm thinking one of her people who already murdered her. Cut back to Joel, Ellie, Sam, and Henry. Joel asks if Henry knows where they are and henry confirms they are on the other side we get that cool video game music some more and suddenly they are outside henry starts to celebrate that his plan worked so much henry goddamn talking. shut the fuck up so much goddamn this is what spencer just said so much goddamn talking him and joel on mm-hmm. the same boat 
Uh, Henry starts to tell them where the embankment is once they cross that. They are out. Ellie asks them where they are going to go once they cross. And Henry says he doesn't know yet. Ellie says, well, we're going to Wyoming, which Joel does predictably. Doesn't work. Like, but Ellie, Ellie, yeah, Ellie points out there is room enough in this state for two more people. After the look from Joel, Henry posits maybe they should just call this a success and say their farewells. Ellie says, no, it's Joel's process. He says, no, sternly, many times. No, 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 no. And then I say, I'm going to ask a million more questions until, and then bang, gunshot. I'm glad someone intervened. I was getting annoyed as Joel was with this conversation at this point. Everyone needs to shut up until we're outside the city limits. Thank you, Mr. Sniper Rifle, for reminding us of that. Overconfidence, yeah, that little overconfidence. So after the shot, they hit. Joel tells him to shut up again. Stop talking. The Spencer logic. Mm-hmm. Look, you, you, which I shouldn't even say Spencer logic. It's the right logic. You you don't want them to hear where you are. Just shut, no. stop talking. Like, stop talking. Like you have no reason to believe that even if they're not any infected out here, that there's not agents of Kathleen that are roaming around the city right now. Just don't say a word. It's okay. Yeah. Be celebrate later. Yeah, thousand percent agree. Uh, more shooting and Joel's able to figure out generally where it's coming from with help from the camera that focuses right exactly where it's coming from. Uh, It's a real advantage protagonists have in this kind of medium is that they've got the camera lens in terms of knowing exactly where the important things are at any given moment. Henry tries to make a run for it, but he's trapped in place. That doesn't go well. He takes it like five feet back and runs He really does. Wouldn't Wouldn't it, I mean, like, not great, but like, kind of funny if he'd have been like i'm getting out of here and he ran and pop just fell right I, I, dead. from a bambi versus godzilla kind of moment yes i would actually really appreciate that if he's just like up oh, we're going bam bam oh damn okay now we're gonna go kill the sniper henry asked joel what to do joel says stay here if you don't move he's not gonna hit you he's trying to talk to ellie now joel says he's gonna slip around back take the guy out ellie is clearly scared to get away from joel for this period but joel says it's dark and he has shit aim no one is going to shoot me ellie then says well they're gonna kill me and Joel says, do you trust me? She nods. And, that, I, and Joel I, gets up and takes off. We see Joel running, Ellie watching, very concerned. I love that they've reached a stage of the relationship where that ends the conversation. Nothing more really needs to be said. Do you trust me? If the answer is yes. Then we're doing this and there's nothing, for, nothing further to discuss. And Ellie is at that level of trust now that she just is like, yep, Joel's on a mission. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it happen. Mm-hmm. So whoever this guy is, he's got a lot of bullets. I just want to point that out. He has got a lot of ammunition. And he is reloading like a champ because there doesn't seem to be much delay between shots either. Yeah, and think about how many Joel shoots later. Joel does make it around back. Joel does sneak up on him and ask him to drop the gun, slide it to him, and stay there for another hour. That's all he's got to do. That's it. Guy looks at him. Older guy does move. He he does. He says, please, don't do it. Please. The guy starts to make a move and Joel drops him. Yeah, it's forced his hand. He has to. So we hear a gunshot. Ellie's worried. Cut back to Joel. He's killed the guy. Joel grabs the gun. Then we hear the radio. It's Kathleen. Anthony, 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 hold them where they are. We're almost there. Fuck. Yep. So Joel yells, run, run, run at the multiple. Like, and they see the resistance. It, 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 Ellie, Henry, Henry, you've got an obligation here. You're the two of the three that can hear. Why on earth are you not listening for Joel right now? It's like, they don't, I don't even know if they ever actually hear him. They just eventually hear the trucks coming. And they see the headlights. Yeah. Uh, so as the resistance comes barreling in, Ellie, Henry, and Sam start running. Joel shoots at the car, chasing them. Finally, after many shots, hitting the driver. The Humvee goes flying into a house, and there's a huge explosion. Remember that for later. Mm-hmm. 
Members of the resistance, including Perry and Kathleen, get out. They notice Joel is shooting from the house and order men to go around back and take him out. I'm very worried for Joel and everybody at this point. Well, Joel knows he's fucked. Joel doesn't even try to keep shooting anymore because he knows he'd be dead in an instant. He's just taking cover and seeing how the situation progresses. Yeah, but uh, yeah, my, my right, and that's the right move. My general point, though, is that there's really no getting out for the characters. They're dead. They're, they're completely surrounded, and we know Kathleen is not going to take any prisoners. She's not going to let anybody go, so they're all going to die. The only possible scenario by which anybody can survive is kind of what Sam goes with. It's just like, I'm going to walk out and give them what they want, maybe distract them a little bit. Ellie, you grab Sam and try to make it out. That, that's the best scenario they got here, and it ain't great, because... Ellie, I don't think, is going to dodge M15, M16 bullets. Just you know, AR-15 or whatever else they're using here. Bullets going to, going down the street. Yeah, which is exactly what Henry does. He, he gets up, says, ah, I, me, you can have me, but just let the kids go. And she just goes, no. <laughs> no, that's not how this is going to work. The girl is with the guy who killed Brian, yeah. and Sam yeah. is with you. Uh, I'm not going to do that. But did you ever stop to think that maybe he was supposed to die Henry says, he's just a fucking kid. He says, well, you know, Henry, kids die. They die all the time. You think the whole world revolves around him? That the whole world? Well, this is what happens when you fuck with fate, Henry. God, no, she is so deluded. I mean, I don't think she's the type of person that if she started talking and she started to express herself in this way, I would go. She's got real problems, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but she's not, she's not almost not worth talking to. It, she it, believes them so far in her core. You're not going to convince her of anything else. It's almost like you had, you would have to just get away from yeah, her. She, she's not literally religious, but she's acting as if she's, she's a the, zealot. Yeah. She's a zealot acting as if she's the avenging arm of the Lord right now. The, the, she is the angel of death descending upon you. There's probably a Johnny Cash song about that, right? Oh, there is angel almost certainly death, a Johnny Cash song on that subject. Yeah, it was probably on uh, Fall of Make Kansas a- City or whatever that album was. I, I told oh, I like, about I like, earlier. I like that one better than the other one you said previously. Well, that would, the other one was the album. This is the song. Oh. Henry tells Ellie to take Sam and run. Henry steals himself, um, gets up, walks over. She looks at him. The man, man, is the look that she gives him striking. You know, you this actress is really good. Mm. And uh, she, if you didn't know, you probably didn't know. There's a really good television show that she's on. Showtime. Two, two and a half Yellow men. Jacket. Yellow, show, Showtime. She is a volleyball player, plane crash, stranded on the island, Lord of the Flies. She tells the story later. Very compelling season one. But the actress is really good. She, the look she gives him, it, it goes against every bit of dialogue she's set giving me. So I know I sound like a fucking crazy person. Mm-hmm. But did you see sympathy in her eyes? There was a certain measure of sympathy and empathy and almost like she's like almost like she's hearing her brother's words and she's forcing her way through them. It's crazy. It's like everything she says is fuck this guy. He is not my seventh priority. He's the most important thing. I'm going to kill him. I not only am I killing him, I'm killing his kids. I'm killing people he met mm-hmm. literally an hide hour your, ago and had kids, coffee hide with. Your hide your kids, hide your wife. I'm killing every fucking body. But when she looks at when he comes out with the hands up, she gives him a look that's like, Oh, Henry. Yeah. And it's so it's so weird, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I thought that was really, really it, striking. It was a nice additional subtle touch to the role. Yeah. Great actress. Yellow Jacket season one. Stop it. Make We're sure not, you watch that check it. hasn't cleared. It ends the way it ends. She pulls the gun up. 
Right at this time, we see the Humphy that crash into the house start to fall into the ground. And there seems to be a knowing look from Kathleen. The look that she turns and gives that is the, uh-oh. Like, it doesn't, she doesn't look surprised. It's almost just like a dread. Yeah, it's, it's like, oh, shit. It is very much a, oh, the thing I reduced to, like, you know, quaternary priority, I think it's coming to the fore right now. Because we saw... Your big underground fungal tentacle, or whatever Underground fungal tentacle, last episode, and she tells Perry, let's deal what we have to deal with, and we'll deal with this later, as if that is, like, somehow second banana. It's insane, her leadership style. So then we hear the noisy infected. Here's the, it's all, it's very much, this is, this is what I did really didn't like about this part of Game of Thrones, but it is the same thing, right? They used this same effect, filmmaking effect in Game of Thrones, which was before you see them, we, there, we now have an infected vo- sound. You hear that clicking, that <laughs> screeching, everything. Yeah. yeah, you, we hear that and we know they're coming. We get this ahead of time. It creates this, this daunting sense and it builds the desperation of the point of view characters. It's a really, really good filmmaking technique. And then the gates break open and they just flow out of the hole, out of the ground. And no amount of, I mean, Kathleen's team is ready and they give a good account, but no amount of automatic fire is enough to stop this tidal wave of former humanity that is descending upon them. All right. From what we saw, how many men with guns do you think you needed to stop that? I mean, how how many do you think Kathleen has? Like two dozen, something like that? She probably had, yeah, 20, 24, 36, something like that. At least... 100, 150. I mean, you got to have many times, I think, what we get out there. And not, maybe not even guns would have been enough based on what we... You don't, I don't think it's said in the episode, but you get to meet a bloater for the first time in this episode. And it seems like it's just shrugging off bullets like nobody's business. So it's, yeah. you'd need it's like... A, also, it's also an army that just won. Yeah. And here's what I mean by that. They are overconfident in this because like the, the move would have been when you see the first few come up is to grab the leaders, grab Kathleen, grab Perry, get them in a car and go. Cause the one advantage you have over the infected. Yeah. Is that you can go faster than them in your cars. Like Mm -hmm. you can, like you can go fast, but they don't, they just stand their ground like stupidly. And then they all end up dying for it. If like all of Kathleen's forces have been there, I think they could have dealt with this. I think if they had like a hundred, a hundred plus dudes, I think they could have enough concentrated fire, the power they could have forced this back into the hole. Fedra certainly seems like it was able to back in the day. So I'm believing that with greater forces to bear, Kathleen's troops could have done this with what they have. It not only ain't enough, the fact it isn't enough here means that her entire community may be fucked. I think all of Kansas city dies because it, uh, this, this holds open. It doesn't they're stop all, going. They're all pouring out of it. And we can, we see, we see that they, they have like, the doors to the city wide open. Yeah. They got no security at this point. They're just celebrating still. They're still drunk I think with all victory. Of, I think all of Kansas city has gone at this point. Um, so thank you, Kathleen. You have, yeah. you've overthrown Fedra and you've killed everyone. Awesome. That's a lot of accomplishment right there. She, she, she did things. She did things that she'll be remembered for. If there's anyone alive to remember them. Ellie takes, Makes it to the car. So they're starting to get overwhelmed and Ellie's like running around and we get like almost that so great, like, Remember the the shots of like Jon Snow like fighting through the the walkers and like he was like Hard Home was a great was like, damn episode, but it was like a two minute shot or yeah. something. Of Long him. track. Like we almost we almost get like that same sort of thing with Ellie, right? Mm-hmm. Her POV and there it's just such a cool effect of Joel shooting in the background. So like as she's running, 
like zombies are just randomly dropping in front and behind her mm-hmm. as she's going and she starts to figure out what's going on and then she almost starts to rely on she's Joel to do that. Joel to grab so she's like clothes. running straight at zombies with like no, I mean, I'm sure she has concern, but like with the confidence that they're going to fall before she can reach them. It's a really cool effect that goes on. It, I'm telling you, man, the filmmaking in this episode is superb. It's wonderful. I also love the addition that while that's going on, we're seeing that Kathleen's soldiers care about each other, that they're fighting to protect each other. In particular, Perry's fighting to protect her. He is constantly keeping her at hand. He's fighting ones away from her. I like when villains care. I like when villains don't treat each other like stormtroopers, that they actually give a damn about each other. It's a nice touch, and they work that well into the fighting here. So Ellie makes it to the car. Perry gets Kathleen near him, and then we see a very, very large, infected, big, mushroom-headed, infected Spencer. called a bloater. Okay. This bloater is there's one that we see that in particular that's causing a bunch of problems here. It's a big, it's big boss level. Mm-hmm. It's the end of Bowser's castle. Yep. Has to have a name. Let's give it a name right now. Yep. Let's let's me and you brainstorm some names. You we're, ready? We're, we're, uh, the individual name, not bloater. Bloater's a species. This dude needs a name. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Steve. Do you have any? Okay. You, you, you go. <laughs> I see the, the, see the track you're going. I yep. was thinking of like Zeldon. Zeldon, yes. Xanatos. Or Zeltron. Mm-hmm. It's got to, it has to start with a Z or an X. I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah, Zeltron. How about that? Z- this, his name is Zeltron. Zeltron Rex Shop. Zeltron the Bloater is a... He, that is actually he's a going, great he, name. Zeltron the Bloater feels like that is a name <laughs> to ride to war under. Zeltron the Bloater is going to eat a lot of quarters at the arcade. Oh, it is God. hard to kill Zeltron the Bloater. And, and the, 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 you have seen now different <laughs> stages of effectively the the cordyceps infection as it goes over the course of years. Zeltron the Bloater is an example of if you just leave a guy and he's able to survive for deck for two decades, this is what remains. But the question is, what, how, why do some hang on and why do some become dust? Like, what is the life force? Cause there's gotta be something yeah. that, that when it connects to the mushroom network, there's gotta be something in that network that's keeping the bodies alive. What is that thing, Spencer? We need to find the CDC has to get to work. I, you are going to get data. You're going to get information. I presume you will piece of it as you were, as you will to interpret what you say. Harry unloads a clip at him. It does, it does nothing. Zeltron the bloater absolutely overrunning the clip. She said, he says, run, find cover. Don't look back. This is when Perry knows he's dead. Here's my question though. Why does not Perry pull out a knife? He just, he just stands there. Like he, he is armed to the tilt. He is a it, soldier. You would think he'd at least start swinging some knives. He does keep shooting. He keeps shooting as long as he can, as this thing is charging up against him. And you know, pound for pound, a bullet's going to do more damage than a knife. So I'm willing to believe that even if he pulled a knife, I don't picture it going through the armored plates that this thing's apparently covered in. It's almost like these things are deflecting off it. I almost feel like you have a better shot with a knife, weirdly enough, because maybe you can get to the brainstem. Maybe you can get up under the under the the uh, chin to get to a to the brain. I would I, I honestly think that if you're if you're trying to deal with Zeltron here, you're on your sixth quarter of the night. You know, you're, you're running out of money for pizza at the arcade. I would say switch to the knife weapon and give that a shot. See how that goes. Uh, I, w- I would say that 
at a certain point here, I don't think he has any other viable alternative. I will say from what we saw, though, getting in grabbing distance from this thing does not appear to work out well. Because if you had to describe what this thing does to Perry, what Zeltron the Bloater makes of Perry here in this last moments, how would you describe what it does? Ragdoll. It's a ragdoll situation. He rips the head off as if it's a an eight-year-old playing with a doll. He is. It's almost like he's making this guy into a Pez dispenser, just in terms of how much he just un- rips him open by a little bit and then pulls it apart. It ain't pretty. I'm glad it's in. It's like in shadow silhouette from how gnarly what this thing does to this guy is. So Perry loses his head off with his head. Um, <laughs> Kathleen lost it a long time ago. Perry's just following her. Right at this time, an infected who was a small child makes its way into the car. It starts to come at Ellie, so she gets out of the car. Uh, oddly, infected children messes with my head not because i find it scary i mean it's creepy whatever else it also is just an idea that okay this actually means that you know infected are alive we've established that to some degree but they can effectively stop it's at least been pondered by people to what degree they're alive or not they drop from bullets whether you hit them in the brainstem or not you can just shoot them and they, they will drop um this strongly implies though that if we if they are alive or if they are dead what data point we have is that this girl seems far enough infected that she's starting to get, like, the clicker kind of thing covering her eyes, which presumably takes a while. So she didn't grow up after that happened. She's still a little girl, unless she was, like, a freaking toddler when this happened, when she was infected. You're, you think they're more alive than I do. I you're, think they're as you're, alive you're as... You're going corpses. I, I think they're as alive as a mushroom is. You're, you're, you're thinking and as you're, a, you're and as a, puppets. And as a renowned... Not renowned. As a known vegetarian... Um, I, I reject the premise that a mushroom is truly alive. Okay. You need this. You need to not think the mushroom is screaming. It's, it's a mushroom. It. It's a, it's a, it's an organism. It's not, it's not conscious. There's no, con- like there's a threshold of being conscious or not being conscious. It doesn't have that. It's a mushroom. That's what I say, but we'll see. I don't know. They're give they're piecemealing the information to us. It may change. Sure. And also it does seem that some of these things are fundamentally different from other ones, right? Like, sure. The clicker, Zoltron the bloater, these things are very different than some of the other ones we've seen, so I don't know. They're, hell, there could be different species of cordyceps going around out there. It may just be a profound assumption on our part to even assume this is all just the same species of fungus causing infection. It's had 20 years to evolve. It had, it had a rapid evolution period there to even start this whole thing. Who's to say it's, it's stopped in the interim? So she gets out of the car, and I think Joel does shoot the the clicker young child who's behind, right? No, no, no. Um, he does not. It gets caught in the car. Cause that's the one that later kills Kathleen here in a second when it gets out. Of oh, the car. okay. I didn't realize it was the same one. All right. So she sees Henry, Henry and Sam are under a car, but being attacked. Mm-hmm. She starts to make her way over to them with infected falling all around her as Joel shoots. Mm-hmm. She sees a car and, take some of them out. Yeah. The cars are actually, like you said, they should all just hopped in the cars. The cars are doing better than the guns here at a certain point. Well, I mean, like if I'm, this is forget who like forget your political leanings for a second. I know it's the hardest thing in the world for the internet to do. Yeah, try. But if you are there with the president, right? So I'm there at this point. It's Biden. Let's say it's Trump. Whoever makes you feel good in this analogy. Mm-hmm. I feel like the first. If you truly look at them as the leader of your society, wouldn't be that? Wouldn't the first impulse be we have to get this what? person to safety? Let's get them in the car and get them out of here. They didn't have that impulse. Only Perry. Perry was the only person thinking, I've got to get my body in front of Kathleen here. Well, I mean, look like, like you ever seen the videos of like the Reagan assassination attempt? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- look what Secret Service does. It's like the agent response is one guy blocks the bullet. The other agents 
form a cordon, but the main focus is get the president in the car and get the car out of here. Arresting this guy and stopping him is, is in some ways secondary to protecting the primary target of our, of our job. It makes, makes me like it makes me think a that the, her her folks aren't all that capable, which is fine. I mean, they've not been formally trained, but like it also makes me think that they're probably they just don't fundamentally view her as the leader that maybe we but, she's being built up to be because if so the first thing would have been like get her in the car she's got to get but, out of here we, if anything else here we have to save kathleen notably if michael had still been alive and kathleen had been there i think kathleen would have been ordered all the troops to get michael out of there and i think that would have been their their default response and they might have automatically done it for michael too right goes Maybe. back to that idea of like what a leader is right um so they're going and so one thing I saw people say online that I, I don't believe is true is that they were saying that, well, this is all of Kathleen's army. This is like all of her armed forces. And so it's like, there's nowhere else to run to. This is the entire force. She got. It's like, no, I don't believe that. Not, not from what we saw. This seems like this is a, a hell of a detachment, but th- she has got other resources elsewhere that, could, that, that you could now rally with and then bring to bear. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, question for you about, Kathleen's decision here because mm. <laughs> she so just immediately <clears throat> well she immediately goes back to she she jumps out and puts the gun she, in front of them she's not right? trying to survive she's not trying to survive she just wants her vengeance while she still can she assumes that she's dead that, that's you know, that's what I interpret of her action oh okay all right because I felt like she was just still so blind with vengeance and rage that she wasn't really thinking clearly uh, to- but tomato, I did, I tomato tomato i think perfectly there well but i mean there is a fundamental difference between she's accepted her fate as dying or she's not capable of even thinking about living or dying she's so blind with rage i, I think it's a mix of the two i think it in fairness is describing a lot of a, a warring complex of character here interesting okay well kathleen stops them points a gun at henry and then Kathleen's attacked. You're you're telling me it's the same small girl which, that was going after which I had, Ellie, which I had to suspend a little bit of disbelief on because that that gr- the little girl distinctly looks like a clicker. It's got growth over its eyes, and when we saw clickers, they can't see. They work by sound. That's why they call clickers. They use almost echolocation. I have a hard time believing that that little girl just honed in on Kathleen, who is being almost perfectly silent standing there. In the no, scene. she said something. She said one Remember? thing in this warring apocalypse and noise all around her. She yelled, stop. I don't know. I mean, it, it, she did yell something. It's something. <clears throat> it's I have a little hard time accepting that one yell is enough to focus this thing on her with everything else that's going on. But, yeah. good, good point, I guess. So more and more infected continue to flow out of the ground. I mean, they are just billowing out. And you, it makes you wonder how many are going to come out of there. I mean, if a city inside, I mean, Kansas City is a big damn city. And if every city had, you know, the numbers of infected we saw in like Austin and around Boston, whatever else, and Fedra successfully forced even just a portion of that underground, there could at least be hundreds, maybe thousands that are now coming out of this thing. We don't know what kind of space they were stuffed into. And That's as you noted, Kathleen's forces are, while they theoretically have the numbers and resources, they're not equipped and prepared for this. Their guard is down in all the worst ways for this moment. Why? Because Kathleen was not forthright with everyone about the immediate threat they were under. They could have been ready. They could have been well-equipped and prepared to snuff this, to nip this in the butt. And they're not because she was on a, just a foolhardy quest for vengeance, ignoring all of her other, what should have been priorities. Cuts later that night, 
They're at a motel. Joel and Henry are talking. Henry asks if they'll be okay. Sam and Ellie are reading the comic book. <clears throat> and Joel says, it's easier when you're a kid. You don't have to, you don't have anyone else relying on you. That's the hard part. What's that comic book say? Endure and survive. Henry said, that shit's redundant. So is. question Kinda for is. you, do you think these two are actually friends at this point? Like if, if they survive, or is it going to be buddy cop, Joel and Henry? I'm, we've talked, <clears throat> we've talked before about that. Joel's loyalty is built around who he defines as his definition of the family, who he views as his family unit and family cluster. Right. I'm, think battle is a hell of a way to forge blood ties and i, I yeah, think was... he, I, he is at least letting his guard around, down around this guy that's a rare enough thing for joel as is doesn't seem like he ever fully you know got comfortable with uh, with, with bill the entire time they knew each other yeah that was kind of my question is if he was going to get in joel's circle or not it seems like he was seems, well on his way like maybe not quite there um, I, I think it's and... helping how close uh, ellie and sam are i think if ellie and sam weren't this close it wouldn't have driven it as quickly yeah. So uh, Henry says that, look, or, or Joel says, look, I, I don't know how I'm going to get to Wyoming. I mean, I'm probably going to walk. But if you want to go, come on. And he says, well, yeah, actually, I, I would kind of like to. I think it would be good for Sam to have a friend. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to go with you. So Henry then gets up, walks into the bedroom and tells Sam he should go to bed. Sam does the thing that kids do when they're not really going to go to bed, which is with all their clothes on, just put their face down on the mattress as if, okay, I'm asleep now. So uh, for, for the record, <clears throat> walking between Kansas city and I think it was Cheyenne, Wyoming. That's where they were going, right? Uh, that, Somewhere close to Cheyenne. 641 miles. Wouldn't, wouldn't be a quick <clears throat> Yeah, let's say it's uh, 40 minutes a mile. I don't know. That's a long time. When nonstop walking, Google says it would take 210 hours. Hmm. So about 100 days. 10 days. No. 210 hours. 24 hours a day. But, yeah, right, but, but they're, they're not staying. Yeah, yeah, they're not yeah, walking they're... every day. Sure. So let's say shoot the middle somewhere around 50 days. It, 40, it, 50 days. You, we're talking a, at least a couple month trip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Sam, so Henry walks out of the bedroom and then Ellie hits Sam says, Hey, come on, we're going to keep hanging out. He gets up to read the book with her. She starts to read the book. Guess what the line is from the book? Which one are we up to? She's reading the comic book after she's gotten Sam back awake after Henry put him to bed. Mm -hmm. The line that she reads out of the book is, I don't see any weird movements. Stiff question mark. <sighs> A little on point, perhaps, would we say? Yeah, pretty on point. Yeah, Sam then gets his head to sketch out. And I just knew what was going on here. If I have to warn the show about something, I would like to warn them about this. Mm. You've used You've used the skirmish happens, characters bit, doesn't tell... We get the dramatic it, reveal later twice now. Let's not do it again. It is, this is fine, but let's not do it anymore. It is perhaps the oldest trope of zombie fiction, and I've, I'm one that's very defensive of zombie fiction. I enjoy it still. I will accept that this trope is getting old to me of there is a battle, guy get bit, guy hides until it's too dangerous, last moment kind of thing. It's one of just the oldest plot lines they've run through. Yeah, this it worked here. I knew it was. I saw this one coming in a way that I didn't see the test one coming. But let's just not do it, it anymore. It, it's interesting. I, I I was watching with some other people for both tests and for this one. Several of them saw tests coming. I heard outright gasps when they heard this one. But I think it was because it was a kid. I think it was just because it was a kid. They were more affected. I I 
this one was obvious but to me. You've already seen it. You, you already got a frame yeah. of reference to know they're going to pull this trick. Yeah. He asked Ellie if she's ever scared. She says, do I not look scared? Sam just looks at her sort of scoffs and writes, never. She writes, I'm scared all the time of scorpions. So she's trying to joke Have around. She doesn't, she, she doesn't like to talk about these types of things. Right. But she does like Sam a lot. Yeah. When the joke doesn't land, she gets real and she writes, I'm scared of ending up alone. A potential line of the episode. That's not even a line. Mm hmm. Line of the episode, that's not even a line, Spencer. It might be the first time in line of the episode history, but my God, what a what a reveal from her. It's a, it tells us a lot about her and her character. And it's still, I think it's a vulnerability that she's not quite comfortable even showing Joel yet. Oh, 100%. He reads that, looks at her, serious contemplation going on. She writes, what about you? He writes, here it is, Spencer, are you ready? If you turn into a monster, is it still you inside? That's the reveal. She knows it immediately. She looks up. He shows her a bite on his leg. So she knows. And she shows him her arm after she thinks a little bit how it's healed. And he's confused. She says, my blood is medicine. Is it? This is, is it? This is an interesting addition. Because in, in, I believe if I remember correctly from the video game, Sam doesn't tell anybody and he just turns in the night. And so there's no opportunity to, you know, have this scene. Having Ellie try to make proactive use of her blood to protect another person is really interesting. It's it's almost like she's... It's an optimism. It's a hope still. It's a belief that she can be a source of bringing about a certain change and, you know, improvement in the world. Chance for her to be the hero, like in the comics they're reading about right now. I like that addition. It's foolhardy. It plainly doesn't work. It makes sense that it doesn't work. But it's an interesting kind of aspect to her character to have explored that she tries. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I... I, so I don't know. But yeah. So I'm glad you were able to speak on the addition from the, the show or the video, the, the video game. But for me, it was like uh, I immediately wanted to pull her aside and be like, Ellie, I'm not sure that's how <laughs> immunity works. So you can just like put your blood, smear your blood on somebody. She's desperate. I get it. But my blood is medicine. I don't think that's what it is. No and I, she has, knows nothing enough to say that. I don't think that's how it's going to bear out either, right? Mm -hmm. I think because ultimately I do think they're going to use whatever immunity she has to develop something to figure out a way to fight these things eventually. That's on my post-it note. That's against the wall. That one hasn't been thrown in the trash yet, uh, like many of my other post-it notes. And I will say that I think uh, I think that's not how it's going to work. So she cuts herself. She puts her hand on his leg. And she's trying. She has a friend. She's trying to do what she can to save her friend. I get that. He writes, stay awake with me. And she writes back, I promise. Uh like every other time Ellie has promised to stay awake or indicated she's going to stay awake at this show, she's fallen asleep. Uh, but she does hug him before uh, they they kind of start to, to burn the midnight oil. She wakes up in a chair. It's light outside. He's sitting at the end of the bed. I knew immediately. I knew. Uh, she says, hey, of course, he can't hear her, so he wouldn't know that anyway. She goes over, touches his arm, and he's infected, and he attacks her. Joel starts to do – so my question is like, He's infected. He's sitting on the bed. Is it he now he can't see too, right? Well, and that's why he's just sitting on the bed and he hasn't already attacked her? I think the infected can see up until a certain stage. He pointedly it appears can't hear because he does not react to her until she touches him. So that's so why didn't he just why, that it carries why, over. Why didn't he attack her while she was asleep on the chair? I think it was I think it's in part because he's deaf. He he has lost a sense of connection to the room. Um, he's not, he's no longer aware of her because he's not himself anymore. And if he's, his, his deafness is carrying through into an infected state, he's actually kind of boxed in for the world until she actually physically interacts with him. But if he could see, he could just start looking around the room. 
he doesn't seem like he is, though. It seems like they almost go into a dormant state if they're not immediately exposed to stimulus. That's probably, yeah, that, that makes sense, right? So when he attacks, they go barreling through the, the door into the room that Joel and Henry are staying at. Henry and Joel immediately grab for the gun. Henry gets it first. And instead of trying to do something about Sam, shoots at Joel's feet to get Joel to stop him from going over to Sam. This was very governor and walking dead vibes here mm. of like, how long are you going to keep your loved one alive as a zombie? I was very worried he was going to do it for a lot longer than he did. He only really had that mental anguish for about 10 seconds until he finally turned the gun on Sam and shot him, killed Sam first or per- the per- mushroom. First person he's ever shot. Yes. His own brother. He says, what did I do? What did I do? He starts to babble. Joel pro that he is, is really trying to get the gun away from Henry. He's, doing everything he can to get the gun away from him. But before he can do that, Henry turns the gun on himself and shoots. And as he does so, Ellie lets out this tragic, heartbroken moan. That was a well done, just sound from her. I just disagree with people who say this actress isn't doing a good job. And it's okay. Even our friend Doug is coming around on Bella Ramsey. Even Doug is coming around. Sophisticated people can disagree, but man, this was her, uh, like, should have, like. Better than that. Gotta roll, gotta roll. Yeah, it was a lot better now. Guttural, but what I was trying to display though is that it kind of came from this strange, oh, yeah. like almost it was almost like a shock, like that the way she screamed, it was almost like a shock, it, it was, shock that she did. It was a proper cry rather than just merely a scream. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, he kills himself, and I'll tell you, Spencer, in my notes here, she's seen too much. She's seen too much. She just saw a man shoot himself in the head right in front of her. She, this is tough, tough for a fourteen-year-old. I got to say, their vacation to Kansas City hasn't been the best. You know, they're not, they're not one gonna, star, they're, one star of you. They're, they're not going to leave a good score on TripAdvisor. Joel digs it. Hey, you know what? One time I was at a, a bar in Ethiopia. Okay. And, uh, they were doing this thing where they were going around the room and everyone was, was taking turns dancing and it got to us. We were the only like tall white American people there. So we took our chance at dancing, right? We were just trying to do what they were doing. And the room sort of erupted in laughter. And I've, I've been laughed at a lot as a white guy in Africa. Mm-hmm. This was laughing at, not with, mm-hmm. this was people being mean. And we still, we were, we were polite, but we got up to leave. And the funniest thing happened. The proprietor of the, the restaurant came out and said, Hey, sir, 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 sir. And I thought, here we go. We're going to get our apology. This is great. They said, would you mind leaving us a positive review on TripAdvisor? Fuck off. Fuck <laughs> off. I couldn't believe <laughs> no, it. No, sir. I did I not like, enjoy the experience. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, I know. TripAdvisor, everywhere in America. Mm. Uh, or not, not in America. Everywhere in the world. world. Addis Ababa. Joel digs them a grave and buries them. She walks out with their stuff packed. She's ready to get the hell on. She does not want to go back in that room where he shot himself. I like that little detail here that she's not willing to go back into the room. She wrote on the Etch-A-Sketch, I'm sorry. And leaves it there as his gravestone. She asks him which way the West is. She starts to go. Joel looks down at the edge of sketch, sketch, clearly affected. Finally, Ellie says, let's go. He drops a shovel and they take off. Spencer, two questions for you about this final scene. Mm. First one. What does I'm sorry mean? I almost feel like it's she. I think it's in some ways sorry that her blood didn't work. That she that she has in some way viewed herself and been trumpeted as being the one who's going to be the savior, the one that is providing a solution to this issue, and her first live fire test failed because she doesn't understand it. She's not equipped to handle it. She's not there to you know do this already. If she was, maybe she could have saved him. If she'd been farther along, maybe she could have helped. 
I, I feel like it's almost a certain element of I am the hero of the story and I am not succeeding at that. Yeah, that sounds right. Second question. What did you take of the look that Joel gave when he read the I'm sorry on the Etch-A-Sketch? I'm a little bit biased because I watched the, I, I watched the creators talk after the end of the episode, which I have mixed feelings for recommending for people. I think HBO is doing that too much lately. Um, Boy, you hate that with anything A Song of Ice and Fire related. And, Author and is I, dead for you there. I don't know why I'm watching it for this either. I, I, I turn it off. I'll be honest with you. I, I watch the next on. Yeah. I do watch that, but I don't watch the creators talk. Well, the, cre- the creators said that this was Joel in some ways fearful that he's eventually – that he's seeing, like you said earlier, the dangers of how desperately dependent Henry was on Sam and what his reaction would be to having to killing Sam or losing Sam. And he's fearful that he's developing a relationship with Ellie that could hurt him to that same degree. That, you know, I've read, loss he's endured before, he's been able to block it away, he's been able to render his, his heart cold and unbeating. And that's increasingly getting untrue, and he's worried about the risks that are associated with that. And it's like, that is an excellent read, but I'm now going to have a hard time thinking otherwise about damn you creators of the show for foisting your ideas in, in place of my own. I don't like that, though, because, like, Joel lost his daughter. He did. Though it's been 20, 20 years and he's been no, no, refusing yeah, to close, but, to, it's close to anyone else since. But my point is he lost his daughter and kept going. I'm not sure that character is going to be concerned about loving Ellie so much that he feels like he won't be able to keep going if something happens to her. He he had the ultimate test mm-hmm. there in losing his daughter. I don't think that like that would be his reason for being scared to get close to Ellie is that he wouldn't be able to go on if something happened to her. He's already passed that test with his, with losing his daughter. I think it's more, he feels re like he, he feels awful at how much she's taking on. Mm. He, he's how many times has he mentioned this? You're seeing too much. This is too, too much. And now she's feeling responsibility for the death of someone Mm -hmm. that she had nothing to do with. Like, I think he's just hating the burden that she has on her. And, and I think that sympathy is what that look was. Fuck the creators. I don't like, I don't like listening to them say shit like that. They're wrong. That would tie tie into the conversation he has with Henry earlier about how it's easier for kids because they're not having to support other people. That seeing someone that he cares about and go through this and endure this in a way that would be hard for an adult, much less for a child, is all the harder on him because of it. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have kids, but I've talked to people who have kids enough to know that, like, if you can if you can keep going after the death of a child, I'm pretty sure you're you're just going to that you you'll keep going after anything right mm. like that's the that's the number one test like if you can bury your own kid i, I, I will and he yeah i will say that with how rough that probably was on him i wonder to what degree he could endure it a second time if he gets that close to another person again it could be a bit of the rubber band effect of where there's only so many times it can snap back before it breaks no, that's a good point that maybe, maybe, maybe he's just so, maybe he has less in the well now, mm-hmm. you know, the energy bars are a lot lower, <laughs> requires more at quarters HP. at the arcade. Uh, okay. That's the end of the episode. End of recap. Um, <clears throat> let's jump into best line of the episode. I've got some options for you. Not as many as Woo. in the last couple of episodes, but still, still a few, uh, early one between, uh, Henry and Joel. I don't know what the next step is with something like this, but if I lower my gun, we didn't hurt you. So you don't hurt us. Right. And then Joel in the most just, I'm going to murder you voice possible says, that's right. It's a weird fucking tone, man. It, it, and Ellie, that, that's just the way he sounds. He, he has an asshole voice. Joel, tell him he's okay. Everything is great. Dude! I, I love the banter that they have. It's great. 
Same. Um, line between uh, Henry and Joe again. If he gets bound down there, we turn around, we run back out the same way we came in. Oh, that's your great plan? No, that's my dicey as fuck plan. But as far as I can tell, it's our only shot. Like you said earlier, Henry's got some key lackings in knowledge, but he has a certain element of perspective into, you know, his own plans and his own situation. Right. Uh, the line from the comic book, to the edge of the universe and back, endure and survive. Enduring and surviving, though it may be a bit redundant, is certainly what the characters are trying to do in this episode and elsewise in this world. Uh, Henry's confession, I'm not going to recite it word for word because it goes on too long, but his whole confession to Joel about what actually happened and his regrets upon it, but still the pretty clear implication that he would do the same thing again as much as it pains him is just fascinating. It's something we're going to unpack in ethical questions. Uh, same same spin on that, like straight up just, you know, mirror, mirror universe alternate perspective. Kathleen's monologue to Perry about her brother and about that sense of loss and about the need for revenge, despite the fact her own family wouldn't want it. And she seems to recognize that it's not productive, that it's destructive. It's counter whatever her brother would have stood for. But she can't help it. As you said, it's an extraneous scene, but it's a well-delivered scene between two actors. Now, we'll give that quote credit. Uh, great line, great moment between Joe and Ellie. Just a simple statement, but do you trust me? That carried so much weight in that moment. I love the effect it had on the scene. I love the statement. You didn't give it a score. You bastard, you didn't give it a 10 of 10 score. But it feel like it does indicate that they're further progressing along in terms of how close the two of them are. Hmm. Maybe an 8. We're, we're getting up in some choice territory here. Uh, line from Joel to the random, random sniper dude. Put the gun down, slide it over to me, and then stay up here for another hour. That's all you have to do. Please don't do it. Please. It's like, this is a hard dude. This is a rough dude. This is a dude that has killed a lot of people. Be it Ellie's influence or just us spending more time with him, he really obviously does not want to hurt this guy. He is begging this guy, on my knees with tears in my eyes, don't make me hurt you. Yep. Uh, Let's see here. Line, this is between Kathleen and Henry. Um, I know why you did what you did, but did you ever stop to think that maybe he was supposed to die? He's just a fucking kid. Well, kids die, Henry. They die all the time. You think the whole world revolves around him? That he's worth everything? Well, this is what happens when you fuck with fate. That was an effective line. As you said, that was all the words of a zealot from on high delivering official godly condemnation upon you what she's rendering here um henry and joel you think they'll be okay yeah i think it's easier when you're a kid anyway you don't have anybody else relying on you that's the hard part well i guess that we're doing a good job then what's that comic book say endure and survive endure and survive that shit's redundant yeah it's not great i love both the philosophical mix and also just the, the humor mix that they're getting closer yep as you noted Hell of a powerful line from Ellie written on an Etch-A-Sketch, but I'm scared of being left alone. That hits like a ton of bricks to see that element of vulnerability advert. Because previously, she's really master of vulnerability under sarcasm, under mocking, under being playful, under trying to act the crude adult. That's the real scared core there that she's been really pretty successfully hiding. I, right, Agreed. Right back from Sam, but... Our, uh, if, if you turn into a monster, are you still you inside you inside, or something like that? That's a haunting Ooh. line, and it's a line that's also from the video game that just, you know, 
keeps fans awake at night to ponder exactly how the infected work. Uh, and just like you said at the end, the, the two aspects of Henry's break of both just his just spiral rapidly of just stutter, like stuttering blue screen of realizing what he just did. It's, almost, it's like how quickly he responds to Joel, but how much almost instinctually he goes and shoots his brother, goes and shoots Sam. I don't even know if he was fully registering that he was doing it until after it happened. And once he has, that's it. There's no functioning here. And as you said, from purely just an auditory line delivery standpoint, Bella Ramsey's cry or whatever else you want to describe it after Henry shoots himself is just acting perfection. It is just the perfect note of just tragic loss put there on the screen. So Agreed. I think that's good enough for you. I, I fully expect you to pick something other than those, but there's a list for you at least to ponder. Best slide of the episode. The internet needs to know, Spencer. Mm-hmm. Episode five, The Last of Us, is... The first time ever in the history of this award, it's a line that was not actually said. I'm scared of ending up alone. <laughs> I because, said my name, but not by Ellen. Yeah, uh, because yeah, it's not. It wasn't said in the in the episode. Yeah, I right? So the reason for that is, I feel like it it's hitting the the overall theme of the show. Like the show is. This is why, like I can watch it and and find a lot of things to enjoy is it's not it's not really a military show it's not us against the zombies it's mm-hmm. about people and it's about reasons to keep going in stressful and difficult situations it's about what our ultimate base desires are and our ultimate base desires is the yin to the yang of our ultimate base fears and our desire to not to be with other people to have connections is that the yin to the yang of being scared of being alone mm-hmm. And her admitting that is such a big and important part of that. And it just tells me that, like, whatever's going to happen in the future with Ellie and her potential ability to save all humanity with her uh, her blood or her, her whatever. This is not a drop Ellie off and be done with her situation for Joel. He is just he's going to be with Ellie the rest of his life and her or her life. Like, they're not going to be apart from each other because she has this innate desire to not end up wanting to be alone and he is developing this love and affection for her. Like they are not going to separate at any point. And I think this is just really giving us all the bread bread crumbs you could ever want for that, that ultimate storyline of like where they go and what happens when he gets her to her destination. Cause he's just not going to walk away from her. So It'll be interesting to see. first time in the history of the award, it's an, it's a written line, not a spoken line. I'm scared of ending up alone. It, I, it's, it's fun with this episode. I can tell directly from your tone and your descriptions. You were definitely more in on this episode. Do you think this is a more of a general trend or you think this is another one-off of you getting more invested in the show? Well, I've, I've come to terms with like the stuff I don't like about the show is never going to go away. Sure. Which is we're operating. Zombies, apocalypse. The world's ended, all that stuff. Right. So, like it, it becomes almost boring for me to like continue to harp on that. Like, and I know it, I know it's boring for our listeners. Like I'm not going to harp on that every episode. Instead, I'm going to say, okay, well, what was different about this episode than other episodes? That's what's, that's what's interesting when you're reviewing a show is mm-hmm. like, how did this episode differ from the previous ones? And this one really focused on the connections of people, like the people's motivation for why they're continuing to go. What, what they care about, what does Kathleen care about? 
You know, what does Perry care about? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what what is Henry and Sam? How, why? What is their reason to keep going? What is, you know, continuing the story of Ellie and Joel? There's just so many, the, the dynamics of uh, interpersonal relationships was on full display in this episode. And that stuff is more interesting to me. So, yeah, I did like this episode a lot better. And I love that you said that. because I, I feel like you said perfectly our familial moments of the episode right there is that this entire episode was familial moments between different people, between different perspectives, for different reasons, from different events. But all of them were going into various concepts of to what degree family motivates you, be it their loss, be it their survival, be it their, you know, growing of family bonds. Everyone here is being propelled by some aspect of their sense of family. I think it's really well done to see all of that told from different perspectives. Like it's a, that aspect of the episode almost felt like a really well done stage play of like, you know, almost a, a Rashomon, like all the kinds of different perspectives in the same events kind of story going on. I thought that landed really well, and I liked how much the degree family is really for every episode seeping in. But this one in particular, the foundational driving force for almost all of the events that occur. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, that the show is telling a story about people within this post-apocalyptic world, and it's trying. I think it, some of the things it's doing is trying to tell us a little bit about ourselves in our current world, mm-hmm. and that's that's a real strength of the show. And it's called, as long as they could like the less, the more that they do the thing that they did this episode, which is let's focus on people, 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 people. Mm-hmm. And then the zombies are a stressor Yes, as opposed to let's focus on zombies, zombies, zombies. And then there's this like sprinkling of, of interpersonal dynamics all around it. If, as long as you give me that first path, I'm going to probably continue to enjoy this on a week to week basis, not as, as one of my favorite shows and not because, um, you know, of, of the type of show it is, but because of how they're telling stories. I'm with you. Fully agree. I think I, I think that is something that's so familial well. familial part of the episode for me. Was the episode? Well, we could say it's the episode. Uh, no, I like that mo- too. Give me a moment. But if we have to do a particular moment, um, it's a really good question. I think I'd probably say non-traditional answer. Mm-hmm. I'd say Ellie putting the blood on Sam. I like that moment a lot. It's again, logically, it's got flaws, but I think those are uh, like in story appropriate logical flaws. Like she's grasping. She, I don't know whether she fully believes this works, but she just needs it to. She's got a hell of a. She has a mountain full of empathy for this kid. It's someone else that she's actually making friends with in a hell of a world for it, and she's the prophesized hero of the story from her perspective. She needs this to work. It. I, I'm with you. That is a powerful familial moment. I, in some ways, it is both more illogical, but also more powerful that she doesn't tell other people, that she doesn't immediately go to the parents and everyone else and put the, put the finger on him. She's trying to save him, risking herself in the process, but she's going to try. Well, she knows what Joe will do. Joe will so anytime, anytime, anytime this happens, we have this this dynamic they've already built up, which is if Ellie knows someone has been bit and they're not infected, they're not a and infected yet. She can't tell Joel unless she wants that person shot because she knows what Joel's going to do. And we know what Joel's going to do. So that's an interesting dynamic that we can see her decision making play out if she's ever given the same situation again in the future. Also, speculating to a certain degree here, but Joel, I think, by how we told him this, would also assume he's going to have to shoot Henry, too, because he's going to work on the assumption that Henry's not going to let him do it. He's not going to default to it. I don't think he's going to shoot Henry first, but I think he's going to be ready to shoot him. That's a good point. And, and Ellie's smart enough to have gamed that out, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. 
Professor, barred attorney that you are, I'm hoping that you can take over the episode now. We can all sit back at our chairs in the lecture hall and you can expound upon ethical questions of the episode. Uh, you always hope for that, but then I make you talk. Uh, I mean, you already set it up, but the, pro the profound ethical question of this episode we saw repeatedly is to what degree your family matters more than the world? To what degree your family matters more than anyone else's safety, well-being, livelihood, whatever else? Do you have the right? Do you have the ethical justification? Do you have the ethical excuse that in an effort to protect yours, to protect someone that you love more than anyone else, you can screw over not just one other person, but lots of other people, or even just one other person? Is it, is it fair to trade someone you care more about for someone that, it's, that you're not as close to? Because that's the ethical decision we see Henry make, the ethical decision that is just reverberating throughout Kansas City and throughout the broader world around it. Because he chose his brother over the leader of the rebel movement, over the, like, you know, actual hope for the rebel movement creating a civilization, basically. Over somebody he apparently cared about and heavily valued, whatever else. And as a result of that, we see Kathleen not give a shit about the livelihood of her community, not give a shit about the priorities, but just dedicated to her own revenge in a mirror opposite of someone of my family was hurt, I have to hurt the world until this is made right. Until, as she says, justice is brought to bear. Is While we can certainly say that that is a very human response, I think society in some ways is almost too willing to just give people a pass when it is necessary to protect their family. I'm curious of your thoughts. Is it ethically just, is it justifiable? Is it excusable? What do you think about someone sacrificing another or sacrificing even more for the sake of their immediate people they care about? I'll make you a deal. I'll tell you my thoughts. If you will, after I'm done, tell us from your perspective. I know I'm just throwing this on you now. Please don't think it has to be perfect. What the American legal system says about your, the limits of your ability to protect your family. Mm-hmm. It depends on the like state, but I'll do Florida. Yeah, let's, sure. But I know, like, you know, if you were – so there's these polls, right? Mm -hmm. Like someone in a bar says, oh, I don't like your wife. She's a bitch, and you kill them. That's one poll, obviously not okay. Then you have this poll over here, which is, you know, they've broken in your house. There's a gun to your wife's head, and you have the ability to kill them to stop the act. And you do that. That's obviously okay, right? So you somewhere in the middle – the American legal system draws a line somewhere about your ability to uh, protect your family. I'm interested to hear your thoughts about that. I'll tell you my personal thoughts on it. No, no, your family's not more important than everybody else. Mm -hmm. They're not. You, hey, ex-parent listening to this podcast. Sorry, your kid's not more important than the rest of society. <laughs> However, it's, totally understandable that you think that. And that's why I'm interested in, in how we write the laws because we can't, the, the fact is, no, your kid's not more important than the rest of society. It's not even, your kid isn't even more important than two more people. Like it, it's not like mm -hmm. there's two people over here and there's your one kid over here. Your one kid is not more important than two lives. I, in my mind, I, sorry, uh, that's just a fact. Mm -hmm. However, because it's such a natural state for us to protect our family, we have to excuse protecting your family in some way and, and to the most we possibly can without it being a threat to society. Like we, 
we have to expect that behavior out of people. Mm -hmm. That's our natural human condition is to protect our family. Like it's, it's one of the most relatable things anybody ever does is protect their child. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the most, that's one of the most things that people can connect with the easiest is their love for their children. Right. So like we have to expect it to a certain extent. So it doesn't make it. So you're not, I don't think you're like a bad person. If you're protecting your family, I don't think that Henry's a bad person for doing what he had to do to make sure that Sam was okay. I get it. I'm kind of where Joel is. I get it. But the fact is, of course, no, of course your family isn't more important than the rest of the world. No, we all know that. Right. But you, but this impulse to protect your family is innately human. So that's why I'm interested to hear like, where do we, where do we, where have we started to draw the line in your ability to go out and proactively protect your family? Uh, before I even get to that, I will agree with you. I fundamentally do agree that you should not just be given free reign to do what you think is necessary to protect yours, regardless of how it affects other people. No, no, no society can exist with that kind of understanding as to how things should work. And I, I mean, I think it's part of the reason, like I've heard people say before that the only fairness is that people should, is, you know, the family should decide how to punish criminals based on what they did to their family. It's like, I no, could they're the not, last people. I could not disagree with you more. I'm sorry. Yeah, they're no. the last people that should be able to so, do that. Yeah, I agree. Because of course you would want to crucify him. Of course you would. But that's not justice. That's that's the exact reason we don't let family be on a jury. Because any reasonable person, like this, we're quoting West Wing here, I feel like, any reasonable person would, of course, want to just murder them in response to whatever they did. That's how your immediate, immediate, immediate emotions would work if someone hurt someone you love and care about. In terms of the law, it bleeds into a few things. From, and it varies incredibly by state. But we use Florida as an example. We've got two combinations that mean you can do a hell of a lot of violence to protect your family if, and under very low standard associated with it. We've got both the castle doctrine, which basically means if someone comes into your home and, you've, and, the, and you, know, you associate them as being a threat to you or have a reasonable belief that they're a threat to you because they're in your home or whatever else, you can murder them. You can just kill them. You can engage in justifiable homicide. It's tied with a more recent development of Florida law called the Stand Your Ground Doctrine, which a lot of states will actually require you to try to you know, decelerate the situation. They require you to attempt to retreat. They require you to engage in some efforts before you re resort to deadly means to defend yourself or defend someone around you. Florida just says, hey, if you've got a reasonable belief that they may actually cause you great bodily harm, not even death necessarily, just great bodily harm, you can kill them. And you can do that as well just to people that are in your immediate orbit around you, including particularly your family. That's one of the more extreme examples that exists. The law heavily builds in the idea that effectively your family is almost an extension of your personal when it comes to self-defense. That if you, you can engage in all kinds of acts to protect them. Where the law doesn't go is to say that you can trade the life of someone else for your family member. No law says that. Now, certain prosecutors might dial down the punishment based on, you know, heightened emotional state or some kind of that jazz. But no law is ever going to say that you can do what Henry did here, that Henry can, you know, OK, you can get your you, you can find the means to save your own brother in exchange for having another person suffer a violent death. No law in the country is going to say that's OK. And I'm with them there. I'm actually pretty hard on Henry here. And I think Henry is on is on himself, too, that. He did a bad guy thing. He did an unforgivable thing. He did an absolutely immoral thing. 
There's no ethical justification in my mind by which he can trade the life of his brother for the life of another person. It just doesn't work that way. I can understand why he would do it. He cares more about his brother than he cares about this other guy. I, I just don't. I fundamentally do not feel it can be morally justifiable. I'm willing to even extend that up to stealing resources. That's willing to tolerate that. Willing to you know, understand that, not punish too hard for it. But straight up, what life for a life? You don't have that right. I, I, I fundamentally adhere to that. I agree. However, obviously, Henry has taken on a paternalistic relationship with his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's extrapolate this to what you do for your children. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are a lot of people listening to this podcast who have kids who would vehemently disagree. And I understand that. That, that, parents, that parents don't have the right to do anything they have to do to save their kid it up up to and including taking another life if they need to. I will say that the people who are listening to this that think that are wrong. <laughs> uh, love you uh, because I, I understand it. I get it. I, I have a, 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 a an emotive response to your position. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it hits me emotionally. I, I like that you love your kid that much, but we can't operate that way as a society that you have the right to take a life to save yours. Uh, an innocent life, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not talking about somebody with a gun not to your defend, kid's head. I'm talking about it. In, I'm talking about innocent, trade. exactly pure trade, an, an innocent life. You can't do that. We can't allow that. And and that's why. It, yeah, you make it. I love that you started this off by saying that's why we don't let parents or family members be the judge, jury, of crimes. Like because they're you, you're not rational, mm-hmm. and we can't expect you to be. Uh, so in the, the craziest part of all this. Is that Kathleen was right? Kathleen's, in my opinion, Kathleen is right about her position. Her execution uh, <laughs> uh, is wrong. Like how how much she prioritizes it, her inability to forgive, how she mobilizes resources for her own petty vendettas. Like all of that shit is wrong. Mm-hmm. But her fundamental stance was, "You traded the life of my brother." to help your kid that was sick with leukemia, like, and that's a wrong thing to do. I think she's fundamentally correct about that position. I agree. I I think it makes her speech all the more powerful that she is, you know, I think objectively accurate in what she's saying right there. And I think she's also emphasizing the point too, is that what, if you did that, what wouldn't you do? It's like, you are basically adhering to the view that nothing else in the world matters compared to your child, that your, or your brother in this case, that, you what wouldn't you sacrifice? What other person wouldn't you hurt to keep your brother alive another day? And I don't think Henry has an answer to that question. I think, as you noted before, Henry is well. Built it was system. almost it was almost Joel and Ellie to keep alive what at that point was the memory of his brother who was now a mushroom. Mm-hmm. He almost sacrificed. Like he was very very close to sacrificing them. He snatched the gun. He damn near in, shot Joel's foot off. Yeah, well, he snatched the gun with the idea to do just that, mm-hmm. to to sacrifice both of them so that Sam as a mushroom could continue. So that, yeah, obviously Sam non-infected, he would have, he would have killed any and everybody for, uh, get it, sympathetic to it, like Henry, believe he should have been given forgiveness by, by Kathleen, but Kathleen's ultimate position, which was, what the fuck, man? You can't just go around killing people because your kid's sick. True. Kathleen, what the fuck? You shouldn't go around just killing people because your brother died. Also true. Very true. And and worse than that, you shouldn't use your position as a leader 
to take away resources from a society that is vulnerable and needs protecting yeah. for this vendetta. Yeah, this is one of the things we debated earlier, like, like episode one, is that like, uh, is opposing FEDRA good for long-term society? Like, you know, will this bring about greater stability or greater resource use? At least in the case of Kansas City, I think we might say as apparently colossally fucked as that FEDRA station was, the answer is probably sadly no, because it looks like society dies within two weeks of FEDRA falling. Well, that's this has fucked me up, right? Because I immediately was like, yes, I'd be a firefly, and yes, we need to... Because, you know, my, my whole point was you still have to live. And if FEDRA is not facilitating and the enjoy the citizens to be able to enjoy their life and to live free and happy, then what's the fucking purpose of FEDRA? That was my position. And then, of course, the show goes on in episode five to show me, well, OK, yeah, let's overthrow it with some rebels who are who are way worse. And, and, and within a period of 11 days, kill everybody in all of Kansas City. While still giving us the idea that maybe if Michael had survived, things could have been different. Michael, the sub, you know, the archangel of God, might have set us on a better path. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you gotta love. This Although show. Michael probably sucked too. He probably did. You know, rose tinted glasses. But it's so great how much in the way of ethical questions the show gives us that we even can reassess and unpack episode after episode as we get more and more exposure to the world. Completely agree. I kind of jumped the gun, gave my sir my summation of the episode, what I thought of it, which was that it was, let's take episode three out of it. Episode three was fantastic television. That was a nine and a half for me out of 10, Mm -hmm. but let's just compare one, two, four, and five to me. Five is my favorite episode they've done because of the, the interplay of people of how I can start to care about characters, question their motivations, be frustrated with their motivations, but still be sympathetic to it and understand it. All of that, all of that character development has been phenomenal, and I think it's really good. So this is what this is one of my more favorite episodes they've done. What do you think? I think it was a, I think it was a very well done episode. Like we said, the production quality of the show is insane, just in terms of what they're able to pull off and just the quality of the filmmaking attached with it. I felt like I'm going to rate it lower than you, just because I felt like, I've, ironically, I think it had a little bit of bloat. I think it had a few scenes that didn't land as well as some others in a way that hasn't happened as much. I was, we had a 40 minute episode last week. Give me the bloat. You you, you just need more. I need more of it. I I felt like there were a few scenes that were, that felt either extraneous or felt like they didn't land as successfully. And I say that while still understanding fully what their purpose was. And like we, we spent a lot of time still talking about them because they offer an interesting perspective on the ethical questions that we just offered. So they're important they make me think, but in just purely the narrative of the episode, they they are pulling us away from some other things that I think work better. So it's like, like, I think this worked, but I think I was seeing a few threads to suggest that this isn't the only way it could have worked. And there are some suggestions that maybe they could have done better if they went a little bit more time on some things than others. But as an overall construct, I think it pairs very well with episode three. I think it very keeps well into the themes that the show's been previously presenting and have been building up over the course of things. And I think it's doing an excellent job of showing us how Joel and Ellie's relationship and their views on the world are changing as a result of their environment rather than purely as a result of each other, which is an organic way of doing storytelling in a way that isn't as commonly seen, and I do adore seeing done well in the screen. Okay. All right. Well, that's... It's interesting that this wouldn't be 
It's interesting that you're more critical of it than I was. Uh, I, I did not did not quite expect that. I, I think I, th- I, thought, I think I'm I think I'm still bruised that you compared Kathleen to Mon Mothma, which we're going to have words about that later. Yeah, that's pretty rough. I mean, I think she's probably even closer to Leia, right? Because Leia lost Alderaan, and and you know you would say that maybe there's some vengeance from her. You, you, uh, you, yeah. you, you don't need to speed run ruining a 13 year friendship. I'm just saying you don't have to do that right here. You, you, you don't necessarily need to do that right I now. I'll tell you this. I'm just I just feel good that Star Wars can elicit those emotions from you it's, anymore because it seems like you were dead inside with everything Star Wars well, based on I, what's going on in the Mango Talk Star Wars. Th- feed. Then I watched Andor, and now we've got another season of Mandalorian coming up. I'm carrying again it's a, it's a, ah he's back ladies it's a roller coaster ride and i'm near the top of the tower okay all right so i think we've got what four episodes six seven eight nine left uh, is it nine or is it eight episodes of the last of us i'm gonna look real quick sorry I, th- I think it's nine um so let's let's whatever it is after you look it up you'll tell us nine i'm interested You're right. I'm, I'm interested to hear what your hope what do you hope this is kind of like the mid-season point what do you hope for the rest of the season what would the rest of the, what would success for the rest of the season look like to spencer they are going to have some guts to stick this landing. This is going to be an interesting... The ending of this matters. Like, a lot of people talk about how the ending, you know, it's about the journey, it's not about the destination. No, no, no. The ending of this matters. And I'm going to be curious to whether, how closely they stick to the video game or how much they adjust it. And that is something I think almost everyone who played the video game is sitting with bated breath to watch. So... Well, they are doing a season two. Of they Last are doing Us. a they've season already, two. They've already renewed it. There was a Last of Us 2 video game, so I'm I'm expecting it. Kind, I'm expecting this story to finish the, the story of the first video game to tell a complete tale in that regard. I'm expecting season two to, 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 to cover the second season of the the, um, the second video game that came out, or one of the intervening stories that they told in a little DLC and everything else. So it, I want I want this to tell the complete story that I understand from the first video game, and I want it to nail go into the ending and nail the ending hard. And that's going to matter a lot to me that they do that correctly. Okay. I like it. Yeah. For me, it's, it's more continue to tell the stories of people Mm -hmm. focus, let, let the existential threat of the infected be the background. Let it be the stressors for the main story, which is people interacting, caring, loving, grieving, dying, all of that stuff. That's what I want to see. They've been doing that. They've been doing that. It's uh, I'm as happy with the show as I can possibly be with a zombie apocalypse show. Mm-hmm. That, All right. That chicken's driving a car now. Look at that. I wouldn't have expected it. Fastest chicken on an NASCAR track. Okay. Anything else we want to talk about this week before we wrap up? No, this is good television and it's a delight to talk about it with you. And I'm really curious from the trailer where we're going next because uh, you watched the trailer, you said, right? For the next episode. I sure did. Yep. Seems like we're going to explore a different aspect of human civilization come next episode. Yep. I think that we will. Uh, I think we're going to get a little Wild West vibes here soon. There look like a lot of people on horses and cowboys. Deadwood situation. Okay, thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate you hanging in there with us. If you like listening to us talk about television, I can't imagine you got to the two and a half hour mark. If you don't, please go over to Line of Succession. Check that out because we are going to be reviewing episode by episode, season four of Succession as it comes out week by week starting March 24th. Succession will be back. We've already done season one, two, three over on the line of succession podcast feed. You can catch up with us. If you haven't seen succession, you can catch up with us week by week, uh, episode by episode of the first three episodes of succession or first three seasons of succession. And you can be back with us for season four of succession, which starts March 24th. We'll be with you on the line of succession podcast feed every week, reviewing that 
In the meantime, we've got four more episodes of Last of Us to review right here on this podcast feed. So we'll be back with you next week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, review. We love to hear all of your feedback. We like all of the reviews, all of the questions, all the comments, the things that we get either on whatever podcast platform you're on or over at MangumTalks.com. Please give us any feedback that you have. We like hearing from our listeners. Thanks, everybody. And we will be back with you next week.